0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the next episode of Vinyl, Vinyl
1: Stallions!
2: Today we've got a great guest on Vinyl Stallions. We've got Joe Lawler. Joe Lawler is an amazing guitarist and is a founding member of the bands Egypt and Joe Lawler, and friends. Joe is also a live recording audio engineer an archivist for Dave Matthews Band. He is part of their road crew. And Joe also just recently finished a tour doing duet performances with his partner Kristen Ray Bowden on the TR3 tour. TR3 features Tim Reynolds of Dave Matthews Band. So we catch Joe in an interesting time fresh off this TR3 tour. And we are super stoked to have him.
3: Hope you enjoy
2: Joe Lawler, welcome to Vinyl Stallions.
3: How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, man. Happy to be here.
2: And it's our pleasure to have you on. Um, what What's going on in your world right now?
3: Well, I'm home, which is a nice thing. I just uh, got home off of a week opening for Tim Reynolds and TR3 with my partner, uh, Kristen Ray Bowden. Um, we had a fantastic time. I can't, I, I'm happy to tell you, um, what an incredible camp that Tim's put together. Um, I've been friends with his bass player and drummer for 30 years. So that's great that he's with them. And then of course I worked with Tim for the past 20 years on, uh, DMB. So Tim and I are good friends and we, it, their camp is just so cool. I mean, they, Tim plays whatever he wants and stylistically. So what you get is a small fan base of people who are like avid music listeners and appreciators, you know? And you can, you know, Tim goes from heavy metal, nine-inch nails to beautiful acoustic uh, ballads, instrumentals, and everywhere in between within his set. And it's just a really safe, comfortable place um when you're out there with them because they're like I said, small but avid fan base is really there for them not to talk, not really there to get drunk. I mean, I don't know, they might catch a buzz, but whatever, you know. What I mean, they're there mm-hmm. for music and, and also specifically guitar playing, you know. So um it's just so so comfortable. Tim's attitude is is so great and well. Welcoming and his uh, band and, and crew are the same way. We we got treated like royalty on a small tour, and you know I've I've been playing music for a living since I was like seventeen, and I've, I've been on all kinds of tours. And you don't, as an opening act, don't often get treated as graciously and just perfectly as we just got treated for the week. And then we got to play music, which is awesome, you know. <laughs> so. Absolutely. So we've had a really good week, really, really, really uh enlightening week. Yeah.
2: And so it was Asheville, Charlotte, or somewhere in Virginia and Philadelphia,
3: we went, right? Yeah, we went Asheville, Charlotte, Winchester, Virginia. Okay. And, and then Philly at the city, city winery there. Yeah. Um
2: Pretty cool venues, too. I saw some of the pictures on like Instagram.
3: Yeah. And so, that place in Asheville, uh, Salvage Station, what a cool venue! Like, totally artist centric. They took such good care of us from the moment we pulled in the parking lot. And they got a cool thing going there. They've got a million dollar festival stage, multi million dollar festival stage outside that they've been running big shows. I mean, they got wow. the same big big shows and a totally cool outdoor you know Salvage station so it's kind of like a salvage yard and there's uh, old beautiful t- 56 Chevys out there and there's also like a lot of containers that they've dropped and made really cool spaces you know like hangout spaces am- amongst their outdoor thing and then of course we were there in the winter so they move everything inside where they have a really nice club you know of, of a decent stage great sound and and lights and a good staff and once again it was a, a smaller show as far as turnout but once again all these really avid music listening fans that just make it great they really pay attention the other thing is is that when i opened for tim last year um we, Kristen and i brought a band with bass player and drummer and that was really cool but touring is hard these days financially and uh Mm
1: -hmm.
3: we didn't want to you know first of all we didn't want to take away from tim's money you know and there just wasn't much money so i was like well i can't really bring you know four dudes out of work for a week who have kids Mm -hmm. and you know just you know at my age and also just i think after covid and stuff like touring is hard gas is twice as much hotel rooms are more foods more there's just not a lot of money going around. It's a little, a little scary, but, but it's I think the truth these days. Um, mounting a tour, um, on any kind of small level, is not not an easy thing to do if you're trying to make money out of it. I mean, luckily I have a good job, and I love to play music, so I was you know really there for, for that, and you know willing to not break even or or worse. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So totally cool with me, but I feel for bands out there, like, getting started. I mean, I got started in the late 80s and uh, playing music and touring uh, the United States. And back then, you really could, you know, open for your friend's band once. The next time, go back to the same club, headline it, do pretty well. And by the third time, you were selling it out and, and there was some money and it was, you know what I'm saying? It was, there was yeah. a system in place that's really just changed a lot and is all monitored by, you know, hits on the internet. And we, as we all know, as we're all dealing with your social media presence and all these different things yeah. now, and I'm not completely complaining because I understand some of the cool stuff that has come along with this new version of the music business. You know, we we've all got Pro Tools or Logic sitting at our house. You can record a song and release it in Japan tomorrow, you know, on your own. Yeah. You have that ability. But damn, it's hard to like now there's a gluttony of music out there that anyone can get a hold of, and it's really hard to make yourself something special down the middle of all that, you know.
1: So yeah. you know,
3: that that's interesting i mean like like i said for me i'm i'm uh well you know truly blessed to work for for dave matthews and and crew and company for the past 20 years um not only do i enjoy my job it's it's hard job you know i mean i guess for your for your fans and your listeners i mean i'm the Um, I'm on the audio crew for Dame Matthews band and specifically I do all the live recording. So I'm basically running a a recording studio from stage left in monitor world. And uh, those recorders become the live tracks things and also whatever warehouse fan club stuff. And we choose, uh, Great shows to release. We don't we don't release it as avidly as some other bands um, because Dave Matthews also sells records. You know what I mean? We don't have to put out less than stellar shows. We keep it in the archive. We we I'm really an archivist. You know, we we record everything that those guys play and sing, and it all ends up in triplicate in our vault and, and another copy out in Hollywood vault. So this is uh, an ongoing thing that that we're really proud of. It includes all the video, uh, six camera shoot and the director's cut of each show, and so everything's archived. We also have a, a database that I work with during the shows, where you know a shows given a serial number. I take notes during the show. Dave broke a string in this song. Um, this was a stellar solo by Tim. And I, I try to keep it. Relative and positive, um, you know. But sometimes there are problems, and and you know, we we write that down too. But um, so anyway, it's, it's all a really well organized archive that that I happily do the audio part of, basically, you know. And uh, I've been really lucky to to work with them. Um, being a, a starving artist myself, my entire life, um, having a real job you know in the music industry um where I'm, where I'm well taken care of and have like life's simplicities like health insurance and things like that so mm-hmm. and I, when we work we work hard my days are 16 hours long i i get up at 7:30, get on bus dump three or four tractor trailers worth of audio gear and set it up. Of course we have help and local labor and stuff, but you know, I'm out there working and we have a, a long day and it doesn't end till like one in the morning when the trucks are packed back up. On the other hand, we're really well taken care of. We have great catering and great food that we've been working with for 20 years. I mean, that's the, the thing that that Dave and the band decided to do was was make it a family it's not often that crew members have been with one band for 20 years let alone three years it's usually the type of job that goes tour to tour and you're looking for your next tour but they decided to kind of look at it differently and you know i'm 20 years in and in one of the newer guys you know what i mean i mean there's a crew yeah. external people that come and go a lot but as far as like really tight 20 person crew you know that I'm, I'm, I'm one of the newer ones, you know, I mean? <laughs> and then it's, you know, it's a cool thing for me as a musician. Um, I have a real job and I get paid and when I'm not working, I can do my own thing. And, um, uh, and for me, that's pursuing music, um, in various ways. Um, so to have that luxury of being able to pay my bills and play some music is, I feel pretty lucky at, you know,
0: I feel like that's when you can say you've made it. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's
3: it's interesting. When I was young, I thought making it was selling a million records and being on MTV and all that kind of stuff. But I think you guys are right. You know, I can really look at it now. It's like, Oh, I get to live my life. Like exactly like I want. My house is full of guitars and instruments. Uh, You know, when I'm not working for a giant band where 20,000 people march in and then march out smiling, like our, my basic premise is to help people have a good time and enjoy music, you know. So, definitely. Oh,
2: well, it's working. <laughs> yeah, I feel really lucky for that, you know.
3: <laughs> and then to, to to have the time and be able to pursue my own stuff, you know, whatever that is at the moment.
0: Definitely. No, I right appreciate. On. Yeah, I appreciate you diving into that, Joe. Like I have billions and billions of questions swirling around yeah, my that, head right now. Yeah, you
3: guys are welcome to ask. You know, I mean, that, um, that is a lot of, to unpack.
2: So I guess, yeah. so since we started with the tour, I, I guess before we stray away from that, let's yeah.
1: just,
2: like, dive into that a little more, sure. which. That album is fantastic, by the way. So do you play guitar on every song that has guitar on that album?
3: Which album?
2: Her, the 2019 album. Yeah.
3: No, okay. So actually I didn't play on that. Um, All She had that recorded when we met in like 2016, 2017. She already had it recorded and I did help her get it from, okay, the recording's done um uh, getting mixed and mastered and stuff i mean i i just gave some suggestions and stuff but that that's her thing um, okay but since then we've now started to collaborate together and we have um she has a new batch of songs which includes some co-writes with me and collaboration stuff um that she's working on figuring out how to how to release, you know, it's a it's a struggle to figure out how to how to properly release music these days. You just put it out on the internet and charge ten bucks and wait for people to get it. How do you market yourself? What do you do? I've seen so many people and the like, yeah, everyone has access and you can put your album out, but three people buy it. You know, you've got to come up with a plan or deal with so you know you've you got to deal, got to pivot gotta algorithms pivot. you know like you got to mm-hmm. figure out you got to post at 10 a.m every day about your band and you know say the right things to get hits or whatever
0: i mean just uh, that in itself is a whole nother job and like we are a yeah. um, small podcast right now and honestly just managing our instagram for the most part and i feel like yeah. it is a whole nother job i have to do with my other job I
3: agree. which takes away from creativity and music for me like Man, I love, like, writing songs, recording songs, arranging songs, playing songs, but when it gets to this part, I'm just like, oh, gosh, but, you know, like, I, too, have have just um, completed um, co-writing an EP with with my best friend, Andy Waldeck, who he and I were started uh the band egypt together that i was in when i was young that was
2: one thing we were going to ask about okay so yeah yeah so like in
3: 1984 i like dropped out of high school and was like i'm going to go to berkeley college of music they had this program where you went for a summer semester and got your ged and then you were in music school and i was like that's a good thing for me to do i was like 17 years old and living with my single mom who's wonderful but i was a teenage brat dude mm-hmm. I just we to all were guitar, like, <laughs> you know, school no way man i'm playing guitar dude you know <laughs> and so that was my plan and i got to berkeley for the summer program summer in 1984 and first person i met was andy waldeck who then became my musical partner um to this day um we have a 40 year whatever friendship you know we both got to Berkeley and said, this is cool, but what we really wanna do is go out on the road and play. So we stopped going to music school. I quickly finished high school in Amherst, Mass, completed my senior year. And then he and I, the next summer, decided to move to Wilmington, North Carolina. And we were gonna surf for the summer. And we told our parents, then we'd figure out how to go back to college and do the right thing. (laughs) <laughs> we, got, we got to Wilmington and lived there off of our roommate who had a soccer scholarship. So he had a condo and he let us stay there. And after a while, he was like, "Dudes, I need some money from you. I set you up an audition. He literally borrowed a car and saw bass player and drummer needed in the Wilmington you know, classifieds. All of a sudden, Andy and I are like, I'm 18 and he's 19. And we're in a top 40 band out of Wilmington, North Carolina playing what they call like the r&b charts at the time jesse johnson mm-hmm. prince the time um we're wearing pink paisley suits from chess king and i have a blonde pompadour and we do dance <laughs> steps oh yeah replay the hits at holiday inns across the east coast and a little bit west and not the a market holiday ends we're in Paducah, Kentucky where are like any exit that really doesn't have much but has a holiday inn. we were playing there at the lounge and uh yeah, so I got this kind of um, we got a fast you know in- introduction into part of the music business that that top 40 scene in it which has merit but at the time, all we wanted to do was write songs. You know, we even suggested to the top 40 guys like Star Search was a thing. It was like the first TV show at the time where you could like audition in and win a record deal. So we we're like, well, we're at these holiday inns all week long. We could rehearse all day, write our own stuff and maybe get on Star Search. And all the guys were older in the band and been through and they're just like, no, nah, I'm just going to sit in my room. man. You know, <laughs> we wanted to do something. But one good thing I got out of it is I played five 45 minute sets a night, six days a week with that band for a year. So my chops as an 18 year old all of a sudden went up. You know, it's like, okay, you're
2: playing absolutely time.
3: So I did learn that and I did learn about booking agencies and commission and, you know, some things about the business there. But we quit finally. And there was a big scene where we we quit and said we were going to go back and start our own band and write our own songs. And they said we were losers and that we'd never make it and we were quitters and we weren't sure if we'd made the right decision. But we went home, we had a cassette four track, we wrote a bunch of tunes, we put together a band and by a year later we were selling out The Bayou in Georgetown, Washington, D.C. And we finally made it back to, to Wilmington and sold out the Mad Monk and we were wearing our own clothes. We were playing our own songs
1: yeah, and in our own
3: thing. And the top 40 guys were in the back of the sold out house because they couldn't even get near enough. To. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Funny story. Now is the leader of that top 40 band on Facebook. He's older now. He's like 65 or something, but. He claims to be our teacher. Like, you know, I I brought these guys into the music business and taught them the right way to do it. So, you know, everyone's (laughs) taking credit now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we just laugh about it because, you know, whatever. But I did learn something out of that. And we started the band Egypt. So, what, 1987, 88, we got an opening slot at the Bayou. And Cellar Door Entertainment was there trying to give a booking contract to the band we were opening for and they saw us do our opening set and they came in and gave us the booking contract and all (laughs) of a sudden we were on the road in a van and trailer back in the day we started playing richmond we started playing baltimore like places we could make the drives Mm -hmm. and that just got bigger and bigger and our crew you guys
2: were all based out of dc
3: yeah, we were in, uh, most of us were in Northern Virginia, but we called it DC to sound cool. You know, okay. Like we're Egypt from Northern Virginia didn't sound as cool to us. We were, we were young, you know. Um, right on. And it was a really cool band. It was all original. We were influenced sometime when we were on that in that Top 40 band, Andy and I happened to go to the Metro in Richmond and see Fishbone and the Chili Peppers in the late 80s, which was (laughs) a fucking thing, dude. Those shows were off the hook, and then we started going to see them a lot at 930 Club, the original 930 in D.C. when it was little and crazy, and man, like, seeing, we just went like, we want to do that, you know, and so Egypt was kind of modeled off that. Funk, rock, there was a lot of rock, there was still you know grunge was coming through still yeah. temple pilots all that stuff in the early 90s started coming through so we liked we liked that we liked songwriting we liked funk we thought we had some kind of political message you know and <laughs> like we were fighting for something we were young you know and it was, it yeah. was really, really cool and a really great experience because i got to like watch a band just like blow up you know what i mean and and we got really close we had a deal with sbk we had a We had a deal with matador madonna wanted to sign us but then we fired our singer like everything went wrong like everything went right but everything also went wrong and you know we were really steadfast about our morals and like sbk tried to sign this 40-page contract that said they could tell us what to wear and we thought that was unbelievably hard like no one can tell us what we're not signing their contract and I think every record company, every contract has sh- stuff like that in it and clauses like that in it. And for whatever reason, Egypt didn't quite make it when we really had, a it was almost there, like we were really going to blow up and it didn't happen. And there's so many stories like that with musicians. It's so hard. I mean, you know, thousands and thousands of bands and five of them make it a year, you know, it's like.
1: Yeah
3: but i had the taste of all of that you know almost you know and uh and then we we continued doing it but but then like grunge and everything really came in and we were like out of place stylistically you know it's like the first thing any label wants you to do is go so what style are you pinpointing and we we're like well we play funk and we play rock but we like pop songs and we like actually writing songs with with form and you know Mm-hmm. So it was that kind, of, kind like,
2: of sounds like the chili peppers yeah
3: yeah and then you know they made it over with under the bridge right they like kind of went from like this like punk, funk funk to all of a sudden having some pop hits which paid some paid him some money and allowed them to keep doing it yeah. But, yeah but on the same token like kristen and i were just listening to chili peppers new record or two records and yeah man, some cool man they've gotten good at, at what they do you know they do a very specific thing and it's all them but man they're really good at it. i mean i yeah. like wishy-washy about anthony's voice and some things like that but man he does his thing the best you know yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah. No, yeah. Hey, what What you think of those two records? Just out of curiosity.
3: Yeah, we really just listened to the first one in the car the other day, and the first uh, five limited songs. love. Yeah, and the first five songs blew me away. Like to be honest, there was like that's yeah. where I got this opinion of like, wow, they're doing exactly what they do. I mean, some people can say they do the same song over and over again well i hear the subtle differences but they do have a formula they have a chili peppers thing they do the chili peppers thing but man do they do it well you know mm-hmm. the sounds were great the writing's interesting the guitar player is always interesting to me you know it it can come left field sometimes but but yeah. i but i totally like it yeah and then also like you know fishbones kind of like Resurging a little bit, you know they're playing again and stuff. And and actually, one of my yeah. great friends from thirty years ago is their new guitar player. Believe it or not, it was always his dream. He was like this little kid that used to ask me for guitar lessons. He's like, "I'm gonna be in fishbone one day," and he literally is. And <laughs> I was
0: like, "That's crazy." You know, Mark Dude, Phillips, one, yeah. One of my favorite songs that anytime comes on, I just lose my mind is "Boning in the Boneyard" by Fishbone. Absolutely. <laughs> man,
3: absolutely. <laughs>
2: What, what's interesting too since we're talking about the chili peppers too so that song and in the boneyard they yeah. sample that in good time boys
3: yeah that's right that's right i've heard that that's really interesting it's cool too like well you know like fishbone i they started getting really big and i started seeing them instead of in little clubs and like big arenas but it it didn't quite transfer like that was kind of a problem their energy and they're just all-out stage show freak out was super cool in the little 930 club but when you put them on a big stage it was just kind of chaos you know it was just like okay what's really happening (laughs) yeah
1: but you know
3: i don't some bands aren't really supposed to get big like that you know who knows but but the long story Mm -hmm. short this this guy andy waldeck that we started in egypt and we were in the top 40 band We've stayed best friends over all the years, but done different. He had a band called Earth Andy that got signed to Giant. And he so he went off on a five-year trajectory with his own thing. And I started working for Dave. And I at first I played less because I was really learning my job. And, and it consumed my life. And I was also very, like, I tried really hard. Like, I'm going to make myself valuable to this, this camp. And I'm going to keep, I'm going to. Keep this job for a while, and so I, I, I really busted ass um for like my first five yeah. years.
0: So, so how did you get in contact with the DMB crew, and how did well, that? you know,
3: start? when Egypt was playing, Carter and Leroy used to come to the flood zone and see us when they were still in their sort of flood zone tracks area. You know, before they had gotten big. So this must be yeah late eighties, early nineties. I think 90s. it's like the early nineties. Okay. Where Egypt's kind of starting to go like this. We didn't make it. We lost a couple record deals. We could still work and tour and we had a name, but turnout was kind of going down and stuff. But Carter and Leroy used to come and see us. We made friends. We played in Charlottesville a few times. And then what happened is Andy and I just picked up and left Northern Virginia. We were literally playing the smoking on the, the mall. In D.C., um, which is a huge, you know, show every year. We were, like, opening for the butthole surfers and, you know, some other thing. And some yeah. woman we barely knew from from Charlottesville was like, hey, I just rented a big farm in Charlottesville. You guys should come and live there. And for some reason, we packed up the U.A. Hall next week and moved to Charlottesville. Really not. We Egypt had played there a couple times. I played at tracks open for... Boyd tinsley and his solo band i forget what it was called so we had met all these guys and i was friendly and like cultivated relationships with other bands so it kind of kept doors open not overly so not like trying to brown nose people but well yeah. they weren't
1: yeah big. yeah I get they it. weren't
3: big yet but it was kind of important to me and honestly when i i got the call what in 2002 from uh bagby who was a longtime front of house engineer for for dave matthew's band um so he was sort of the head of the audio crew mm-hmm. and he called me wait like, he's funny personality i think he called me like 4 30 in the morning woke me up um, just for <laughs> fun and said hey do you want to be the new live recording engineer for dmb and i was like i don't yeah i think so can i can i tell you tomorrow <laughs> you know can i, can I wake up because interestingly enough, here's here's set the stage for that is that I just pawned my four track to pay my rent in the warehouse I was living in. And I had just gotten a call from OAR if I wanted to be their guitar tech. And then that night at four in the morning, Bagby calls and asks if I want to be recording engineer for Dave Matthews. So I was broke. And all of a sudden, I had two decent job offers. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. OAR is a pretty
2: good band too. And <laughs> I is. was,
3: I was pulled, more pulled toward the OAR thing because I thought guitar tech that fits with me. I play guitar. I, I understand guitars. You know, recording engineer. Mm-hmm. Okay, I love the studio. I've been involved in all of Egypt's recordings, but I am by no means a real top of the line studio engineer. You know. But um, luckily, I made the right choice. No offense to OAR, but, um, you know, the Dave Matthews' band is definitely a better Dave. Place to be employed by. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But that <laughs> call was scale. a little out of the blue, yeah. Um, there's some things that set me up for it. Um, when Egypt was touring, we were great friends with a bunch of Northern Virginia bands, including Everything, who had a hit with The Hooch. Um, including Gib Droll Band and Gibb's now the guitar player for Bruce Hornsby. Um, so I have a lot of old friends that, that um, so the sound man for everything had become the recording engineer for Dave Matthews. So he had my job prior to me. So when he wanted, he really wanted to be the front of house guy and Bagby was in and not going anywhere. So he couldn't move up he could only move laterally, so he decided to follow his wife and move to LA and start. He's now the front house head of production for Switchfoot, which is a big band out of okay. San Diego. Yeah, so yeah, he's yeah, happy. He runs everything. Like they're a smaller band, one truck, one bus, but, but he's, he's running the show. But he runs the production of it, and that's what he always wanted. So he okay. recommended me. Bagby knew me. Ryan recommended me. So I had a couple different things pushing toward me and what i really found out too is getting and keeping those kind of jobs isn't necessarily about how technically proficient you are at your particular task a lot Mm -hmm. of it has to do with living on a tour bus with eight dudes year in and year out without pissing each other off a lot (laughs) of it has (laughs) to do with not getting oil spotted in other words being where you're supposed to be to get on the bus, not after it pulled out and left a spot of oil on the concrete and you're standing there. You gotta be on time. You gotta be 10 minutes early. In the Dave crew, you're late. You know, if you're on time, you're 10 minutes late, you know, whatever, however, whatever you wanna make the expression. But when I see bus call 7.30, I go at 7.20, you know what I'm saying? And to this day, there's a lot of that, getting along with people, working with people. Also, how you handle your, yourself publicly. I mean, we um, we all represent the band um, at a bar after the show on a day off. Like, all the time, you got to kind of handle yourself um, accordingly. So those are the reasons why I've kept my job and why also I understood that, okay, they're not hiring the best recording engineer. They're hiring somebody who can fit in and grow here. And luckily Google came along and I could say, yes, I know how to do that. And then look it up on Google and learn <laughs> how to do it go do it. Right. Like we all do now. Right. It's uh, like, yeah. yeah, I can do that. Sure. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I, I did some of that and then the timing was right. And it's a good crew to work for. And, and to be honest, Dave Matthews music didn't get me back then at, at my age and where I was. And it does now, and I'll explain why, because now I've worked for them for 20 years. All around the world, I've seen them in every kind of situation. And those those guys are badasses and really nice. They're all great musicians. But the other thing is they take risks. They, no song is really played the same way twice. I mean, there's a basic arrangement, but it can go a lot of places. And they do that in stadiums. They take chances. They, they improvise. They switch up the set list. They, you know, they keep it real. They're true to themselves. They, like, are playing music. Dave is, writes songs all the time. Dave writes intricate, interesting, out there song and hit songs, like, all the time. And he loves to write songs. If, if you took away stardom, fame, and fortune, dude would still be on his porch writing songs i guarantee it i've I've watched it you know yeah and he doesn't write simple stuff like even his hit tunes i mean satellite try and play it and sing it i know that his
2: hand on that song is just ridiculous i have no idea what his right hand is doing
3: (laughs) there let's just talk about that i'm a guitar player i watch him play every night like Like, I play a D chord like this. He plays a D chord like this, you know? He plays, like, every hard inversion of a chord. Mm. Those are simple, and in his vocabulary, playing a regular D to G to C, you'll never see Dave do it. I don't think he knows how to do it. (laughs) D like this, and G like this, you know?
0: it's. I mean, so it's crazy. So, uh, for my DMB history, so I, like, knew Dave Matthews' band, but just, like, the hits, just until... Clep comes over to my house and plays me. I basically, I, I I feel like I got drilled with everything on before these crowded streets. It was like Rapunzel, yeah. Last Stop, The Stone, and I was like, yeah. What in the hell am I hearing? Yeah. So I go and I listen last year, like 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 literally, this was like last March, and like I've been playing guitar, just kind of teaching myself for the past like five years, but yeah. I've been neglecting my acoustic. Yeah. And just because you know electric's easier to play, it's a more flashy thing. It's the only thing I want to play. Sure. And I go. And I was like, all right, I'm going to learn a Dave song. I go straight to uh What Would You Say? Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm trying to play it on this. And I'm like, man, oh, man, like this yeah. is a foreign language to me. And yeah. so I went and made it a point last year to go and learn as many Dave Matthews songs as I can. And I can't tell you how much it has improved my guitaring and the way yeah. I look at the guitar, like you were saying. It's just yeah you sure you could do a D chord here, but what if I did this and put my pinky here to accent this? Yeah, And it has just expanded my world. And like, I, I cannot think Dave enough. And uh, there's this guy online that as well, I I wish I had his name right now, but he breaks it down. And, um, right. Yeah, no, it's it's it's
3: really interesting technique like that he has. And he thinks he, by the way, also like thinks he sucks at guitar. (laughs) That's what he says. Like, Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. You know? But honestly, I think him growing up in South Africa opened him up to a different rhythm than all of us here in North America because he's got intense rhythm, too.
2: Which Absolutely. he
3: self-defaces, too. He's like, oh, I just play one, 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 one. Like, I don't have to count. He doesn't count on time signatures. It's all just one, 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 one. And it just depends on how many ones you want. <laughs> I mean, those are how he like to face them. But I think he has a really inherent, interesting rhythm and also he, the way he approaches the guitar, he must have had an interesting, like classical guitar teacher right off the bat, or something. He was like all these big voicings of chords that that us regular old guitar players don't really play. You know what I mean? So his D chord sounds cooler than ours, or yeah. different at least. Maybe not cooler, but
0: yeah, it gives and then him he's personal. And then he sings and you're like, what the right. hell is happening?
3: <laughs> and, and honestly, like, I'm not a total lyric person because I was a guitar player. I want to hear Eddie Van Halen's solo. And I don't mind that David Lee Roth is just singing about chicks and beer because <laughs> I'm waiting for the guitar solo. So I was never that much of a lyric person. But Dave writes really good lyrics as as I'm around them, as I understand what the songs are about, because maybe I was there when something happened or whatever. Or I, I understand how he relates with his family and his children or whatever. He writes really good lyrics, too, which I, I'm not someone who should be commenting on that. But I do notice that that's a big part of it, too, and a big part of his fans. He's also really just really good at um, being the uh, rock star that he is, man. He takes the time. I watch it every day, meet and greet before the show. I watch him with the, with the woman and her husband and her husband's. Feeling a little uncomfortable because her his wife is an avid Dave fan and so <laughs> Dave. And he's there and he's gotten her a meet and greet ticket for her for her birthday. And so he's standing there feeling all uncomfortable with his wife. And Dave like does whatever the wife needs and then talks to the man and makes him feel comfortable and then draws him a picture and personalizes it and then moves on to the next set and does it with everybody until till everyone and He does that before a show, does that after a show, you know? And also he's managed to like, like he's super recognizable, but I I swear to God, like an example of this is like, I was up in a hotel 16th floor looking down. I see like four high school field trip buses pull up and I see Dave Matthews walking down the sidewalk. So all of a sudden four buses are emptying out on the sidewalk and Dave's just walking right through the middle of it. And like, no one's like, you know, I'm not the droid you're looking for, type of thing. You know, causing <laughs> you know? just walking right, walking right through. I've also like been to like fancy hotels that are just packed with paparazzi, like the Mayflower in London, and like if you walk in that, if you walk toward that hotel. Flash bulbs just just even me like you and i walk up to the mayflower at 11 o'clock at night and it's like they take pictures and then they look at the pictures, and they go oh when it's not a celebrity you can hear him <laughs> <laughs> and, and then watch dave just kind of you know negotiate that just in a really in a cool way he pays attention to his fans he he's thankful for the career he has and he also met uh jedi mind tricks his way kind of through it, you know, it's, it's pretty cool
0: from what I've seen, you know. It's, it's incredible to watch from the yeah. fans' point of view as well. Like it's, it, it is captivating. We actually, so uh, we just saw you, the fall tour run and we went to uh, the right State venue. Yeah, at, uh, Yeah, Fairboard oh, yeah. the Nutter Center. Right. And, and we got front row. Uh, we yeah. were like right in front of um, Stefan and, nice. I just couldn't, yeah, I mean, it's just captivating is the word I always like to use with that yeah. band and um, seeing it come to life.
3: And they're in a really cool spot now too, like like they're really happy and having a great time playing this late in their career, you know I think uh, some switches and, you know Buddy came in playing keyboards and really invigorated people with his big smile and his... Yeah, energy. he's
2: got yeah. so much energy, man. Yeah, and
3: his chops are just wicked too, like he plays great and he plays just the right thing for the song and so now, like that band, is is firing on all cylinders. Actually, like as creative, if not more than than ever, you know. Um, and they have a mm-hmm. really good time together. They enjoy each other's company as a group. Like they've all, you know, so and so and so and so have always gone on blah 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 blah. blah but they're like a, a really group, you know. I, I I think they're in a really good spot. You know, making cool music and really and en- kind of enjoying it and. It's neat to see in a, whatever, almost 30 year career, you know?
2: Yeah. Or be a part of
1: it.
3: Yeah, man. Yeah. And, you know, I'm over there working and, uh, six or seven o'clock, sometimes I get a text from Dave says, Hey man, you want to play tonight? You know, like that's how it goes with me. I just looked at the database and I've sat in with DMB 40 times or more now this year, 44, 41, the yeah, 44. Something. Okay. Yeah, I don't know somewhere. Well, in
2: according to DMB Almanac, 41. Oh, also oh, a magic number, it. no less. <laughs> okay.
3: I guess it's over now, <laughs> Yeah, right? you're we done, Joe. <laughs> 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 oh man, we need to write some more number songs. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: bring them back, get some yeah. triple digits yeah. going.
2: That's actually how we learned who you were. We were at the Noblesville show. So day two, you came out playing some heat and we were like, who is that guy?
3: Well, see, I learned too, because I watch all the guests go up and I help them when guests are guitar players. It's part of my job to help get them on and off stage, which has had me the opportunity to meet. Santana, Neil Young, Warren Haynes, oh, you know, think about the guys that I've helped, you know, Mike McCready just a couple of weeks ago from Pearl Jam. Yeah. Not only that, Damn. but Derek Trump. My, my rig, that I now carry a guitar amp and pedal board because I never know when I'm going to sit in. So there's a place on the truck for it, and it sits there. And if Dave says sit in, we move it out. Well, oh, it's cool. also the guest guitar player amp for like the past three or four years. Mm-hmm. So I, I, feel like my amp is sucking up all this guitar playing mojo because like literally Warren Haynes Mike McCready just played through all these people play through my amp as a guest with DMB and I feel like I suck in a little of their mojo into my equipment you know <laughs> absolutely <laughs> but the thing is, is I've had the experience of watch people and when Dave asks you to sit in he really wants you to do your thing I've learned there's a lot of unspoken rules in in that size of a gig you know that you you don't uh go down stage of the singer you don't you don't want to be too loud or you don't want to you know and a lot of people are, are are kind of contained and i i've noticed because i've gotten to sit in so many times but also i have a relationship with these guys that dave mm-hmm. wants you to fucking kick some ass and He's yelling at me on his intercom, like, get it, get it, faster, harder, faster. I'm over there like, yeah, yeah, like running out of ideas, you know what I mean? But I did something I wouldn't, I didn't do at first, but like, especially this year, I was like, man, all bets are off. Like, if he asked me up there, just go do your thing, you know? And I came up playing like that, watching Fishbone and the Chili Peppers. You go to the downstage edge and you look at people in the face and you solo, give them a lick and, you know? You know, it's a showman thing. Yeah. But also for me, it is not um it is not practiced or intentional. That's how I play. Like that's that's what happens when you give me a guitar and you crank it up. I've I've run to the downstage edge and solo, you know. So I, mean,
1: right on.
3: But I feel comfortable doing it with those guys. Also, you know, I have I have a relationship with Carter outside of it all too from back in the day. We've done a couple projects together. So when you go on on, when I get to go on Dave Matthews stage, I'm very much invited to do my thing. They know what I'm gonna do, but I'm also Mm -hmm. very welcomed and backed up by some of the best players in the world. If you've got Carter behind you listening to what you're doing and playing off of me, go back and look at the tapes. He plays I'll go do he goes, you know, I mean he plays off of me. It's very much a conversation without ever looking over my shoulder and really with everybody in the band. So I'm just like the luckiest dude ever, man, to get invited up like that. I mean, it's better than being like super famous, you know, Neil Young or something, because they all, like, kind of kowtow to him, like, Mr. Young, what what should we play, you know? But when I go up there, it's like, we're just, like, going for it. And I know I got the drummer in my back pocket, and the lead singer's happy to have me up there and give him a break for five minutes while I saw So literally, I get invited up, and Dave's like, here's my band. We've warmed up the crowd we're all ready to play now you just have 10 minutes to just do whatever you want I mean, (laughs) almost overwhelmed by the sheer coolness of that in the first place so you know (laughs) people tell me how much it means to them or how excited they were by my performances and I always try to spin it back because like you have no idea how I feel up there man you know this is something I strove for my whole life and like a lot of people never get a chance to even sit in once with 20,000 people totally checking you out and a badass drummer behind you. Like, I'm lucky. You know? Yeah. I, <laughs> I know it. <laughs> yeah,
2: I'm I'm a drummer. So, like, Carter is somebody I, I don't know this is a musician. Like, I say, like, he is right up there with, you know, the Keith Moons, John Bonham's, Neil Pert. Like, the man is an absolute unit.
3: <laughs> Absolutely, man. He runs... And- he runs those big shows. Like he knows how to run a show. And also um, there's no computer up there. There's no click track. He picks tempos out of his brain. You know, there's, there's no, like so many drummers these days, not to put them down in any way, but there's a Pro Tools thing running in their em- in ears, you know, that tells them what's coming up next. And the tempo is like packed out on this thing. And, there's nothing wrong with any of that. That's a skill in itself. is mm-hmm. an old school drummer. He gets up there and he tells you what the fucking tempo is, and you play the song. And mm-hmm. yeah, you know,
2: he's uh, like, yeah, he's a human click. Yeah, he's a human. Yeah,
3: yeah. And I and the, I record the stuff, and I check like tempos are like real close to where they started to where they end. And those songs get huge and rambled in different directions, and you know, it'd be a perfect place to like get lost. But yeah, he's he's amazing. I I was fortunate enough maybe like eight, ten years ago uh the, the band has a studio outside of charlottesville out in the woods and uh carter was doing some work in there he's going to start a session for some uh it was for like espn college basketball and it was bumpers in, in and out and stuff they were asking him to do you know it's just a commercial you know those kind
1: yeah yeah <laughs>
3: So I went in there and just helped assistant engineer while he was getting set up to do this. And of course there was a guitar. He's like, hey man, let's just jam for a minute. And so I went in there and played with Carter and we literally played for like three hours without looking up and went back into the control room and they had recorded everything. And we're like, oh, there's our bumpers. We just chopped this stuff up. So then I ended up being in the studio with just Carter and myself for a month, working. That's on awesome. Stuff. And I played guitar and bass on it, and literally just like any idea we have, Carter would jam to. We record it, then we chop out the good part, and do a little editing, a little blah blah blah, and, and it you know got it went to ESPN and they they used all that stuff. But for me, it was just that experience of like being around that dude for a month and and also playing guitar to just the two of us no bass player no singer no nothing so and so it was all pretty much like whatever i could think of on the spot that carter might like to jam to so that was just like a really good lesson and and fun time
2: (laughs) is any of that music like out there like on spotify or anything
3: no you know um to be honest like i i had to like sign it away like so, so I ESPN don't owns <laughs> all of it now? I think so. Okay. Yeah. But well, That's Which still cool. So you're. Doesn't mean it's not out there in some way. You yeah. Know?
2: So you're, like you're telling me like I'm watching a football yeah. baseball game on ESPN and there's a commercial or something and there's like that little music, like right. there's a good chance that's you and Carter.
3: No, I don't think they run it anymore. I think it was very specific for ESPN college basketball for one season. Okay. So if you could detective it back to that you know and i don't really know like how it was credited because i wasn't involved in any of the business and i basically was offered a certain amount of money just to sign off on it and i myself i was like well part of me was like those are all my ideas that's like every idea i have (laughs) you know what i mean and i was like but the other side i was like well I, i can i got more you know yeah and yeah that experience was worth it to me so i i kind of had to let go of the backside, and i'm probably not even supposed to talk about it. who knows but but i did get to do that with carter which is my real point was just like being on a one-on-one in studio situation really seeing how an amazing drummer he really is you know just picking up on different riffs and communicating through walls in the studio that with energy and and you know yeah solidness man you know He's he's a great musician. And you know the thing about Carter, too. Great singer. He can play guitar, bass, like, pretty well. Piano, you know. He's, he's a music school graduate with, with chops, you know. It's more than just a drummer, you know. he's He's a musician all the way around, for sure. And I really think, you know dave's interesting rhythms and chord voicings and carter's ability to understand those rhythms most drummers would have looked at dave and said that's wrong like that's that's out of time that that doesn't work carter understood oh it's a measure of seven after two measures of four and that's how we're gonna do it and he can do it you know but most of us are mm-hmm. be like that's wrong dude you don't you gotta straighten that out you know? <laughs> i think that's what made them interest or part of what made them interesting you know Oh, fact.
2: absolutely.
3: I can only really talk from my own experience, but being a musician and then getting to record them and watch them for 20 years, they're, they're really good musicians and they deserve where they're at in this business. Um, they're nice people. They're, I can uh, Me sitting here is a, a testament to the fact that they take care of their own you know i i got sick this this summer for like a month and had to go home from tour it was like the first time that uh that i missed a day of work in 20 years you know Mm -hmm. and um, it wasn't covid but just like crazy flu stuff and and i just really couldn't work and that's like the scariest thought ever but they were such a family and everyone supported me so much and then you know had me come back and even though i wasn't quite ready to come back it's like just come on back and get back in the swing of things and we'll help you You know just everybody's so helpful and kind and caring and and it's pretty amazing you know Um, that's awesome and i also
2: think that's like a smart approach from their point of view too because it's like you keep the same personnel on your crew like they're going to learn how to record you better. Like they're going to know all your tendencies better. Yeah, it's
3: true. It's it's really true. You know, um, you know, in recording, I have an input gain on a nice seventies API preamp for each instrument. And I record 80 inputs for Mm -hmm. a show for three hours. It's a, it's a big recording, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But really my, what I can do to the recording is change the gain up or down a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. it's really not that much. And, and but at the same time, I follow Dave and I know songs that he finger picks quietly and that preamp goes up a little bit. And I know songs where he just whacks on the guitar really loud. And so you're right. I do make subtle changes because of the length of time I've been there. It's a double-edged sword. Like we always say the interesting thing about us is like, when the stage catches on fire, we'd all actually run out and grab a band member and then leave the building where I think in most bands the crew would be like, fuck you, I'm out of here. You know what I mean? <laughs> so we're all like, yeah, one of, we're all going to run and grab one guy, then we're going to go, you know? And they, they've created that. On the other hand, I can see how it's hard for them because we're all getting old. And we're like, liabilities. You can get a younger dude who's been to full sale and knows more than I do to do my job for half as much money. But what you don't get is the camaraderie, the respect we all have for each other. And the sheer fact that I I am truly there to try to, to make things better the way, any way that I can, including when I sit in, like, like I'm there to, to amp up the show. Like I'm there to, to, to make it better, you know? And, uh, I really feel that responsibility with those guys. I mean, I, I'm, like I said, man, I'm really lucky to work for those guys. I'm really lucky that the way they've chosen to do their business, um, yeah. just, just to have a real job and also be a musician artist, I'm super lucky. And I actually am lucky, I think. That I never really made it when I was young because I wouldn't have handled that well. If I was a big rock star when I was 19, man, I would have blown. I would have blown all my money and done too many drugs and pissed everybody off. And I mean, who knows? You can never tell. You can't look back. But I feel like I'm in like such a special sh- shot. Like, like you said, you've made it. Like, cause yeah. I get to play music when i'm not working And when i'm working i'm around music and on a really grand scale and
1: yeah i made it yeah
3: it's cool <laughs> i live in this beautiful just a normal house in charlottesville but i don't have kids and i'm here with my partner kristen who's also a musician we collaborate write music together and do things also on our own but our house every room is just not whether there's an instrument and in, it's like, which, which instrument yeah. is in, in learning, you know, we've got a whirly in there. We've got a piano in there. There's guitars on every wall. I
0: feel lucky, man. It's <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, that, that's about as good as it gets. You're living yeah. life on your own terms, like have everything yeah. you need. So it sounds yeah. like a damn good life to me.
3: <laughs> I know when I, when I stop and think, you know, I mean, we all get burned out on stuff and, you know, we have, good and bad years and stuff but overall and i have to stop and think it's a really nice spot to be in man and this um all this winter i got back together with my partner andy waldeck who i kind of explained we started in egypt and met at berkeley and so on yeah.
1: and after like
3: 20 years of not writing we've played together a lot and like my joe Lawler and friends band he'll come sit in and you know just kind of like that kind of thing but we got together um Last winter, kind of tail into COVID stuff, and we took all the riffs that I, I voicemail riffs every morning in the back of my tour bus on the way to work. I play my first thing and I voicemail it or, or voice note it, and um, he's become an amazing uh, arranger, writer, producer, and so we got together and we just took all my list and we we you know spent like four days and like wrote six tunes out of out of these little voice memos and stuff and i really just got that finished so i've got six tunes that are completely co-written co-produced with my buddy andy who i've been friends with for 40 years and we just wrote a new batch of stuff man and so i'm excited about that i'm I'm trying to figure out how to release it and what to do and and all that but i just got the masters back and I'm, i'm excited about it
0: and oh, will man. that be under just Joe Lawler as well? No, like Joe because it's, and Andy?
3: no, it's tot- Yeah, it's a total collaboration, and we tried to beat around with names or Joe Andy, Andy Joe, uh, Andy and Joey. You know, <laughs> and uh, finally we came up with the name, which is actually the title of one of the songs. and It's called "The Long Way," and it's okay. kind of um, um, pointing toward the fact that we met when we were seventeen in the dorms of Berkeley College of Music, and we've come the long way around 40 years later to write, uh, to write more music together.
0: Very nice.
3: Yeah. So I'm looking forward to, I'll, I'll let you guys know, of course, but it's, it's good. I was be- going to
2: say, shoot yeah. us an email when that's yeah. like ready to roll out. Cause yeah, we'd yeah. love to check it out. Well,
3: I'll send you one of the, one of the tunes right now. Cause I've kind of been giving one of them away just to like drum up some interests, you know? So I'll, yeah. I'll send you one of the tunes when we're done. And the cool thing about the tune I'm going to send you is, uh, um, I asked for Sean if he was interested in writing a horn part. It's kind of this like kind of silly, happy, sort of R&B white guy R&B song that we wrote. <laughs> yeah, it was the song that we we had five songs ready and we wrote one five minutes before we pushed record. It's that song where you're like, Well, if we just had one more, it'd be six, you know. So we literally wrote it on the spot, and it shows in some ways. It's pretty simple, but. Mm-hmm. Well I thought, man, if we could get Rashawn to put a spicy trumpet line on this, that might really help it. So I asked Rashawn and he of course was like, Man, I'll I'll be glad to do it. I was like, Well, look, I'd be glad to pay you for composition, writing, playing, whatever happens, you know. And he's like, No, man, you don't have to pay me with family and shit. Long story short, and it only took like a month. I was figuring like six months from now I'd be like, maybe here from Rashawn. I mean he's busy, he's on he's in every grammys band and you know he's busy on sessions and everything
2: yeah he's on jeff's new album isn't he yeah a few songs
3: yep and you know but if you watch like grammys rock and roll fame um i you know he just did saturday night live he just subbed in for the trumpet player on saturday night live for two weeks like he's at that level now he's a list trumpet player when you need a trumpet player for the grammys when you need a trumpet player for the cma awards or whatever it is he's, yeah. he's that dude now i sent him the tune he said i'd love to do it campaign me and all this stuff i'm like okay and literally um a week after tour was over he sent me tracks and he composed an entire horn section and he somehow had a whole section of his friends in the in the studio i guess maybe <laughs> he like builds up his projects and then goes and does them all or something anyway i got back you know trombone two trumpets two saxes completely uh c- composition that fit the song and made it better from Rashawn.
0: Damn!
3: so i'll send you incredible. that one because it's pretty cool and it ties in with, with with Rashawn a little bit you know i wasn't awesome. even sure what to expect or how much it would cost or anything like that and he just went above and beyond so
0: it's incredible
3: figure out what to get him for christmas i don't think <laughs> What do you do, man? <laughs> you can't get a, you know, it's like, oh, get him like a, a New Orleans painting of a trumpet player. And I was like, his house is probably full of, the, like, everybody gets him something with a trumpet. So. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, cracking my brain a little, like, because, but anyway, so I have new music on the way, um, and you know, Kristen and I are doing this this duo thing, which we really got a shot in the arm opening for Tim. Like, okay you can do this duo thing on a rock stage and like it's cool and uh she has more music coming out and then we there's some songs that i've played on five or six songs that she will release and then in this this year this coming year that i'm involved with so i'm, I'm pretty yeah. happy that in the next like whatever six to eight months there will be some music with myself on it out oh, on yeah. the airways yeah
2: awesome yeah no her her language and mirrors album i like i'm really into that it's like
3: oh man that's i will tell her because she's you know I, I think she's amazing and i think that that mount album is amazing too and and she's trying to find her way to start her career yeah it's
2: like kind of like the psychedelic like indie
3: mountain music Oh you were hitting it all in the head for her yeah, she's from Boone, uh-huh. North Carolina, so there's this whole mountain music side, but she loves radiohead and you know so yeah and whatever else so yeah, that's really cool your 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 description is she would be happy to hear, and I will tell her as soon as we're done with this.
0: Yeah, please do. Forever Please <laughs> and Solid Ground were just, like, blowing my mind. I, like, thought it was a guitar at the end of Solid Ground, and I yeah. went back I'm like, that's a violin, I think?
3: Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> all of Kristen's family, which is extended, are monster musicians. Her brother Richard, who's about 70 years old, plays violin for Ryan Bingham, who's kind of a country artist. He's yeah, awesome. I
2: know Ryan Bingham.
3: Yeah, so he's with with Ryan Bingham, and Man, I, I once was invited to one of their family reunions a couple of years ago and it was literally like three couches pulled around each other and about 12 different family members who were all genius musicians and all harmonized together. You ever heard family harmonies like, you know, I just sat there for like two days of this reunion just going, whoa, he's a wicked fiddle player. And, oh my God, he can play banjo and Kristen and her sister are amazing and sing harmonies and you know, Kristen plays piano really well, but she's also plays flute and ukulele. She just wrote a song on guitar last week. She's like, here, I wrote this new song. I'm like, you know, (laughs) and so her whole family is really good. So the, yeah, you're right in that there's a fiddle and strings on that record and stuff. When I met her, she had it done, but was stalled on how to like get it finished. And so I, Mm -hmm. I helped a little bit with that really. She, she did it all i just had some some ideas that would be helpful but but this next batch we have um we have some really good tunes that aren't released right now that are about to get released like i really think some of her tunes might go somewhere like she's got a song called marry me once that i think is just like the title song for the next like you know romantic comedy or or, or drama you know like She's just got some stuff that I th- is, I'm really happy about, and I'm really happy that we've been able to to learn how to collaborate together. As in a relationship, living together and playing music together can can be daunting in some ways. It can be amazing. You walk out of the kitchen, finish dinner, and walk right in the music room, and you can play with your friend. You know that and that's amazing. But you know it can also be hard. You know you put all your Everything is mixed together with us with music and with art and with just trying to live and just trying to have a relationship. And then you throw in COVID where I hadn't been home for a year and nineteen years. And I was on the road all before that with Egypt and, and the top forty bands. So I mean, I've been on the road since I was seventeen. So COVID was a pretty strange one, you know, for, for all Yeah. Of us.
0: I mean, I could only imagine, yeah, like what yeah. you just described being on the road for that long and having to come. Yeah, home. I mean
3: I we I get weird sitting still a little bit, you know? I have to re-figure out how to, how to sit still, but also it's getting easier and easier the older I get. And that's another thing, I'm like 54, man. I still feel like I'm 17 in my brain, but my body's not so sure some of the, some of the places. I mean, even in my guitar playing, like it kind of has to change a little bit. I used to be able to shred stuff that I, I don't even try to play fast anymore. It's not really i'm trying to like hear each note i'm Do trying your to create cornbread you know? would beg to differ <laughs> yeah well you're right you know you start <laughs> with a fast tempo then you get a lot of energy behind it yeah but yeah but i i is what it feels like in my brain is like everything feels like it's in slow motion you know hey.
0: <laughs> so uh i have a question then what uh, so you've been on the road you just explained for like last 30 years almost and what are i guess some of the challenges that have come across and some of the benefits or things that you're like this this is why i do this
3: yeah well i mean you know there's a lot of cliches i mean relationships are hard um when you're on the road um all sorts of relationships whether it's love or family or whatever i've i've missed uh most of my friends' weddings and all the things that happen in summer, <laughs> I've missed over the last twenty years, you know, yeah. <laughs> because of my job. Um, but also, I have gotten to go around the world, experience food, culture, language, music, scenery—you know, geographics. That's just all of it, you know, and I and I love that. I love. Um hearing different languages around me I, I love all those things you know Absolutely. and i love our our country too is beautiful there's nothing like you know the flattest places in the country being in a tour bus and watching arizona turn into you know whatever turn into california <laughs> and you know i mean there's some beautiful mm-hmm. moments and sitting mm-hmm. in the front of the tour bus playing my dobro while my while the driver sings bad blues, (laughs) you know? I mean, come on, you know? It doesn't get much better than that, you know?
0: Yeah, and and I, at, at least for me, I would think, being able to see other venues would be a huge part as well. And so do you have a top three venues you've ever been to or just something yeah, come to mind? Okay.
3: So that's a question I get often answered and there's like obvious stuff. Like, of course the gorge is amazing. And it is, you know, I mean, I've been there 19 times, so it's less amazing, but you know what happens with the coolest venues to see a show are the hardest venues to work. The gorge is a pain mm-hmm. in the ass to work. You're out there dried out, you know, the temperature goes from ninety-seven during the day to fifties and at night and you're cold and wet. And it's a hard place to work for three days, to live out there for three days. Mm-hmm. It's not the easiest load in. They can only fit two trucks at the loading dock. We have eleven, you know what I mean? Like some of the amphitheaters are easy because all the trucks fit in the dock and you just roll the stuff straight on the field. The gorge is not like that. We're talking ramps, we're talking two trucks at a time. Red Rocks beautiful amazing venue right great cool place to see a show you mm-hmm. got to crossload the tractor trailers at the bottom of the hill into little box trucks so each tractor trailer turns into four or five box trucks so now 11 tractor trailers later that's a 24-hour event getting the gear up to the stage
0: <laughs> oh my lord and my
3: then it's lord. the same thing getting it back so i will tell you that most of the like you know uh, des- destination gigs are really hard to work you know, so if you're asking me as a crew guy with my favorite venue, it's like yeah. the most um, mundane amphitheater in the Midwest somewhere. I mean, like Noble's Probably Deer office. Creek. Big About and flat and all the trucks fit to the dock. It makes for an easy day for Joe, you know? Doesn't necessarily make for the coolest as being a fan, you know? But I've also gotten to go to Santiago, Chile, I've gotten to go to South Africa with Dave in Cape Town and Johannesburg. So watching different cultures react to Dave makes fa- like favorite venues for me. You know what I mean? Um, and then Brazil and Argentina. I mean, I, I love Argentina. I love uh, Lisbon, Portugal, or we went and and no one really knew who Dave was. And I was asking the, the uh accountant, like, oh, how are we doing on ticket sales today? And he's like, there's only 3,000 sold and we're in a 20,000 person amphitheater. I'm like, oh no, that because 3,000 in a 20,000 seater just looks like an empty club. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And but what we found out about Portuguese people is they don't buy tickets ahead and they come out late and they all came and it was sold out by the time the show started. Wow. You know? And that made that live record there in, in Lisbon. If you look back at the live tracks, and it's like one of their longest performances, they came back for three encores. Damn. The soccer, the soccer chants, whoa, hey, oh, are all in key, and the band yep. used that drop D they were singing to go right into don't drink the water. So it was like musical, you know, segue between the crowd chanting and the band. There were a lot of cool stuff happened there. So <laughs> you know, Lisbon, a famous one, you know it was yeah
2: what there, live tracks number is that
3: i don't know because i just yeah. don't know the numbers and stuff but you can find it it's okay it's Lisbon. i mean uh, it, yeah. and it's probably five or of, well with COVID, it's probably seven or eight years ago i lost <laughs> ago. it like,
1: yeah
0: you just drilled a bunch of live tracks right there naming all those different yeah. places um yeah do you ultimately get to like propose when it's like time to make a live tracks? I mean, I just saw there was a blossom one released from yeah. our hometown. No, uh,
3: I don't make that choice, but what, the part I do have in it is within our database, I'm one of like 14, 15 people who are on our database and I can change records within it. A lot of people look at it for you know the guest list or something or print out the day sheet, but my whole card section, I can make changes. So I rate every show on a one one to five stars with some notes, you know. Um, And so I'm involved in choices. So the first thing they're going to look for in the database is four-star shows from Joe. They'll look at that. Mm -hmm. And from some of the other guys who rate the shows. There's only a couple of us that do it. And it's actually... I found really hard to do when you're at a show and working a show and in the middle of a show, it's kind of hard to tell whether it was a good show. Some shows I'm like, that's a five-star show and everybody else is like, that was horrible. And so I'm a little like, I'm not quite sure what a good show is from my vantage point, being on stage left working. I'm in in ears listening to my recording. So I'm spending a lot of time soloing instruments making sure that it's a clean signal that type of thing so i'm not really like listening in a enjoyable way so to speak yeah. you know yeah. I mean? it's much more of a mathematical I'm, I'm working type of way um mm-hmm. and my mix is has no effects no eq because i'm trying to record exactly what the band did every night so i'm not like altering it as i'm recording it and i'm listening to it so i'm kind of listening to it in this bare bones Way, which honestly is pretty good, a lot, you know what I mean. Which is saying something for the band right there that they're bare bones with no reverb and no EQ on the hi hat symbol and no tweak on Dave's vocal sounds pretty damn good. Um, but I, I have a hard time judging, but there's, there's more people than me involved. There's a lot of factors involved in live tracks, um, down to um, Corin, the manager, has a say in it, the band would have saying it but they don't they have made it they stay away from it like instead of like all band members in a room telling you how to mix something they kind of hands off on it and kind of trust us which i guess is to us but they you know i mean if they have a certain feeling about something or they want to get involved they they always can but the stuff gets done around them so to speak but but we do pick the best shows that we can i don't even pick at all my rating gets looked at and that's one way i have kind of a say in it but there's also all this other business shit like some venues charge for the recording rights. so you might have like madison square garden is forty thousand dollars a night to record there in case you might release it we've recorded how many shows at madison square garden uh, in the yeah. 30s paid the forty thousand dollars for the first like 18 years, and then like four years ago, some gruff union guy said, hey, we're going to waive the fee to me. Just yeah. out of the blue. I guess we were cool enough or we were long <laughs> enough. Also, never released the live tracks from Madison yeah. Garden either. So there's an income stream. Think about whatever... 18 times 40,000, you know, that's gotten paid and just gone right live, whatever. There's, there's plenty of money, but I'm saying mm-hmm. that there's more factors and choices of a live track release. The venue could have something to do with it. Um, okay, There's just, there's other factors that, that are involved, but for that's- my part, my show ratings are a part of it. And the other couple audio guys that make these show ratings are part of it. Set list is a part of it. You know, we keep extensive re- records, what Dave has played in this venue for the past five years he's handed during the day to make his decisions about the set list that night. He knows what he's played there and what he hasn't played there in the past five years at that same venue for those, you know, wow. for that crowd. And so he takes that all into consideration um, and sometimes he throws it out the door and plays what he wants to play, you know, which yeah. I'm a fan. I was like, dude, you should play whatever you want, you know.
2: Yeah, the setless set to... gaming is like totally part of the wonkery of being a DMB fan. Like there Man, are apps yeah. dedicated to Oh, just... I know.
3: See, <laughs> I used to watch that stuff and I had to stop because there's just so many uh attitudes both good and bad but man the yes. stuff is just like ridiculous Look, like people are, like he didn't play whatever I wanted the fucking asshole i'm like wait a minute dude he, he play whatever he wanted yes. He's got song he wanted to play it you know yeah oh, That's that works me. i mean irks i watched me, it the first time i sat in and then i went back to the to the ants marching or whatever and looked at it and they're like Who's this Ron Jeremy look like guy making all these weird faces on stage? You know, <laughs> <laughs> like Ron Jeremy's little brother or something. I was just what like, the fuck? I gotta stop looking at this. So, no, dude, it,
0: no, that, that that really has bugged me. I mean, the last two years of really going to shows and uh, standing below it. Yeah, I'm like, they, they've played Gray Street 22 times in a row and yeah. I'd be okay with it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I hear you You can complain a little bit, but geez, I man, it seems I, I, I don't have enough energy or patience to spend a bunch of time typing a bunch of negative words like Mm -hmm. you know what i mean just like what's the point man like if you like it you didn't like it okay you didn't like it okay but man writing these novels about
0: what's wrong with the cell, uh, i don't know it's but- weird that it's polarizing as well yeah. like i yeah it, it's just like weird it's a whole jam band kind of sphere as well that yeah. kind of uh, can get that yeah it's she- not
2: just dmb there's other yeah. jam bands we follow that like they, it's the same thing and i just feel like if you don't really like it i mean this is kind of like a tenant of Vinyl Stallions, our podcast, yeah. like if we don't like it, we're just not going to talk about it. Like there's no right. need to be negative.
3: Right. I mean, you can also, you can have your opinion and then let it go with that. You know what I mean? Like not mm-hmm. everybody's supposed to like everything, but exactly. I will tell you, like, you know, you can look at some facts that I see in our database, like this past summer, the day Matthews played 130 something different songs right i don't know the exact number and it's probably there yeah g- email but like they played a lot of songs I, you guys are musicians i've been a musician all my life i can keep about 20 songs in my head before one has to get bumped yeah. out to get to add another one yeah, play yeah a point. lot of material you know like like when buddy joined the band he had to learn like 120 songs and he didn't know which one Dave was going to ask him to play first at rehearsal, you know. And he's such a good side guy that he learned them all, you know. I can't even fit that in my head. So they they already are doing that. Like I said, Dave looks at the set list that he's played in that venue for the past five years. So he knows what he has played and what he hasn't played. And then he chooses what he wants to play and what the band what's in rotation with the band at the moment you know, like what they're, what's really firing, what they're feeling good about, what makes them happy then. So he takes everything into consideration, but also it's like in the end, it's like, whatever, mm-hmm. man, we play 130 songs this year. It's like, if that's not enough variety for you. you know I mean?
0: Joe, do you have a favorite DMB song?
3: Also
2: a favorite one to just like play with them. That was like, cause I noticed like a lot of times it's cornbread, rhyme and reason, like I mean, those are yep. two from that Deer Creek show, but I've yep. noticed like those in other shows too.
3: Yeah. Well, like all of that's up to Dave. Like, like mm-hmm. I said, it's a minimal comp conversation, um, text message at dinner before the gig. Usually like, I usually don't know, like I'm sitting in with DMB next week or anything like that. It's that day. And, and then the song choice too, like, I make suggestions just recently. I, like, started having the balls to be, like, because, like, when Tim had COVID and he was scrambling to try to figure out what to do, and I was, and I finally, against my better judgment, really, because, like, the last thing you want to do is, like, ask Dave Matthews if you can sit in. I think that would be the end of it. (laughs) I just just wait for for a text, you know what I
0: mean? He just points you to the door. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
3: So, but I did say, hey, Kim has Tim has COVID, and I know these songs. And I listed, you know, Rhyme and Reason, uh, Cornbread. But I also knew 41. And I was, you know. That's I knew. Gray. I said, Lion Our Graves.' I said, I haven't played these with you, but, but I could play this, you know. And my thing is, is once he says what song it is, I go in the back of my tour bus and brush up real quick. I spend, like, 20 minutes, like, especially, like, Lionel Grays. I've never, never played. I, I How many times have I heard it? You know, thousands, but never even picked up. Like, I don't pick up guitar and play Dave Matthews' riffs or try to figure them out until I know I'm playing on a song. And then I go, and I do the same thing everybody else, look up tabs and stuff and, and look up videos. So there's all kinds of people breaking down Dave Matthews' songs, right? And mm-hmm. I use them. I use them, too. I go on my bus. I got 20 minutes. I figure out basically what's going on. I figure out okay, this scale and this scale will be pretty safe during the solo section, and I can work from there. But I kind of learn them on the spot. I mean, I really like a lot of Dave's songs, and I, I, um, I really, as a song, I really like Stay or Leave as like the a mood. and the Oh, and the a solo song, yeah. Yeah, I do, and I like a lot of that solo record. Actually, yeah,
2: Some Devil, that, yeah. that is a great
3: record. I was lucky because I think my second year, or maybe third, right in there, though, 2003, 2004, when that record came out and Dave, did yeah. Dave and Friends tour, which was really interesting because all of a sudden we were same crew, same venues, different band, you know, and I was mm-hmm. pretty fresh only second or third year in, so i didn't really realize how monumental it really was but it really was and i really liked some of that material but i also i mean i i i like a lot of song i mean how can you not like um the stone or some of those long yeah. jams that could just get so deep you know drunken soldier that's one yeah of my favorites. sure man yeah. what a cool tune you know and i like some of the heavier they're, they're playing that uh madman's eyes this year it's off the, oh, the record that it. isn't released yet but, yeah, yeah we, we've been waiting for that middle eastern type of thing but also like some metals in there that, gang, was, gang, gang,
0: gang, gang. that was crazy to see because we were at the columbus show last year when they debuted that song yeah. and then we just saw it again at the nutter center and to see it a year apart and how much yeah. it has grown and how much they've locked in with it was like yeah, holy I shit
3: agree. yeah i you know yeah. I, I tend to like they're new songs too, just because they're new for all of us, you know, and they they hold they hold new new newness, you know.
2: Yeah, the um, only thing that kind of has like a bit of a like metalish yeah. breakdown towards the end of it too. It does,
3: too. And then there's other songs that are just like pop songs that are that I like, to like "Come On, Come On." I mean, it's yeah, not that much of a song, but by the end of it, it has really done something with the most simplest stuff by the end of it you've been taken or i have been i I started noticing that too i like a lot of their material and the way i listen to music too is like i'll find something to like if i don't like the song maybe i like the drummer if i don't maybe i like the guitar solo maybe like the tone of the person's voice or something you know what i mean like musicians listen to music in a little bit different way like you can chop up the worst song and find something you can be positive yeah. about within it you know it's like true. a horrible song but damn you know that guitar tone is amazing whatever and also Absolutely. it's my work so you know what i mean there's also a certain amount of burnout and stuff too right i mean you know you've listened to your favorite band for a for a living over and over again they may become less of your favorite band if you're not careful you know what I mean and to be <laughs> yeah. honest like I admitted in the beginning I wasn't a DB fan as a matter of fact my small brain when I was 20 and they were first coming up or 25 was like I don't like this stuff whiny whiny dude on vocals you know there's no metal <laughs> guitar you know because it was all acoustic, you know and they and I, I like the fusion drummer you know <laughs> okay I like but but that's weird too. I mean, what a just interesting um, conglomeration of, of 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 humans that that made that band just at the right time. Yeah. Just you know, some kind of Americana thing. But I mean, it, not, I don't know how to say it on PC. But there's black guys and white guys and and South African guys, and you know, not, I'm not trying to break it down racially, but but there is a diverse thing. And yeah. you know, Diverse when music when yeah. was there violin and saxophone in the middle of a of a pop song or, or <laughs> yeah. you know, vice versa, you know. I mean, I think that early the, the original band and when Roy was really in it. And Roy have the Roy had been a friend of mine since since before any of this too, as just a jazz horn player. And
1: mm-hmm.
3: he really and put that like you know ants marching wah, 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 you know what i'm saying like it's like two notes on a on a saxophone also doubled by a violin that are a hook that everyone will recognize for the rest of their fucking lives yeah and he's a jazz cat Roy is a jazz cat so like he wants to play outside and he wants to not follow song structure and stuff but he also is smart and he's like we can take this and do this to it boyd can play it without playing out of tune right we can all do this and it's actually different and really cool in a pop context so I, there's a lot of huge stuff that went on right then timing wise and and thought process wise that really made that band into something you know
0: Well, yeah what a What are some like, so for our uh, fans listening out there Mm -hmm. and honestly, just for myself as well, Mm -hmm. like you get to, or like you have a show that day, what are some like pre-show like checklist things that you have to do as a recording tech or things that you just do personally?
3: Right. So, well, I can just, I can go through my job real quick is, is, um, we dump the trucks with all the speakers and all the mixing consoles and my recording equipment and stuff. And then what I do is I am then responsible for setting up monitor world. So all the audio equipment you see on stage left when you come to a concert, which includes- Like Tim, buddy, like- I'm setting up all all the monitor equipment. So there's a, a monitor console, there's my recording console. There's, you know, we have so many channels of wireless. Like think about it, everybody's got two packs on. So there's two radios per musician on stage and then all the backups for them and the guests and stuff. So there's a lot of RF radio stuff going on in racks here, which we have a guy that's his basic job is to run all the radio. We have to stay out of the frequency range of the government and the police and stay in this very um tight area of frequencies that we can use legally and then we have to keep all of them clean so when Dave's up there his guitar doesn't fizz out on them, you know, cause it's all, it's all radios. It's all, we're all transmitting all this stuff. Their in-ears are getting transmitted via radio. So their monitoring system is a radio. So that's a big deal. Anyway, I set all that up. I run the snakes, the audio snakes, which is like supposedly the worst job in the world, but I've been doing it since the beginning because the guy before me did it and I get it. i It started out, I got an extra 50 bucks a day to do this crappy job and I just still do it to this day. <laughs> I've amped up the 50 bucks a little bit, but you know what I mean? But not much. (laughs) um, So I'm like the only guy, I don't know, there may be someone else who's done this, but I've like done the worst job, run the snakes in the morning, done my whole job, gotten on stage, sat in with the band, recorded myself for what could possibly be a live record, right? So I'm actually recording myself as I go to sit in and then the band goes away on their private jets and stuff and I load out and take, pull back the snakes 350 feet of cable that's oh, going, going piss and blood and and beer spills and all that so i've kind of like get to do within one day like some of the worst and best jobs on the <laughs> tour and i i'm i that's i'm good about that
0: <laughs> balance is key yeah, i mean i've
3: learned so much too like being a musician being a crew person they're different worlds but i've learned a lot how to mix those like when I was young, I had a guitar tech, and I always used to yell at him. My guitar is out of tune. Well, now that I've been a crew person for all these years, I would never yell at my guitar tech. It's like, dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, don't worry about it. It's cool. You know what I mean? We'll figure it out. <laughs> I mean, you know, guys, we have we have backups to the backup out there, but there's still a ghost in the machine with electronics. You know, we we have the best techs. We have two of every piece of equipment. And, brand new equipment and microphones and still sometimes man you get up there and carter's mic doesn't work yeah keep like, kidding me we just tested it 10 minutes ago and now it does you know you just never know so we're always just on our toes but yeah my day my day consists of that setting everything up there's a there's a line check now at four where we check all the lines the band doesn't come out and do sound check anymore we set them up a rehearsal room where they have little mini mini drum set, mini guitar amps, and they sit yeah. and they love it. It's like they're kids again in the basement. And they figure out new tunes to play, they figure out surprises. They used to sound check on stage but there'd always be fans out in the parking lot that would then relay to the internet any kind of surprise that they were trying to rehearse or anything like that. So it was like, let's put them back in this room. Also bands have attended tendency to dawdle at soundcheck that everyone's like talking and playing yeah. their coolest lick and then they play a song and then they dawdle around so just in a time constraint thing we're like hey if you guys go in your little room you can practice all this stuff in secret and like make mistakes and not feel self-conscious about it you're not out here in the public we can do soundcheck virtually these days because we can record we can we can start with last night's show we have it multi-track we can play it back through the pa and we're basically right where we left off last night Now we're sound checking, so sound check happens amongst us and the crew and it's more of a line check thing.
0: That's interesting. Is is are a lot of bands moving towards that now?
3: Yes, because like Avid and Pro Tools makes most of the consoles everybody's using, and if not, if not that company, it's another company. They're all in the digital world, so you basically plug in a laptop and you got multi-track recording. Yeah. The monitor guy can record all of his monitor mixes, all the changes he made during the night, and look back on it. And same with the front of house guy. So the sound checks are are moving more in in that range, and and also you know we're, we're all there to take care of problems so most likely we're going to we're going to figure it out real quick and and make things work well but it's but really it's been cool for the band cuz they really are like kids they stay in there for hours when they don't have to you know telling jokes or whatever but also trying out songs from 30 years ago like you know i mean they see the internet a little bit Fonz reads it. they know that people want certain old songs you know and some of them were like jams dude that never that aren't something like some of the things people want to hear don't really exist like it it happened (laughs) once that happened once yes you know but that was it you know
0: no one really knows improvise yeah
3: but Um, things i do specifically for my job though you know i i'm a tea drinker so you've got my pre-show black tea with cream and sugar um I try to go out to my bus at appropriate times and play guitar for 10 or 15 minutes to get my head outside of it. I have a little, you know, uh, amp and uh, guitar rig that I have on the in the back lounge of my bus. So my day, what I've gotten good at in 20 years is like I go in and work really hard for 45 minutes and then I go out to the bus for 20 minutes and play guitar or something Then I go in and work for two hours really hard. I've, I've learned my spots when to get in, in and out stay out of people's way, get my shit done at the right times and make the most sense. We're really, as a crew, we're all about loadout, right? Like everything we do all day is to make loadout easier. Once we've, you know, made it sound right for the band and stuff, what's really going on is the way we go in is the way we go out backwards. Yeah. The way I set up gear, the lids that I take off cases are, a new, are in order to putting them back on to get them out the door. So it's really like, we're like looking at everything in reverse. Also, mm-hmm. we have a video crew, a lighting crew. We have the audio crew, we have the security crew. We're all working on top of each other. We're all automatically in each other's way the entire time. So what we're trying to do is stay out of each other's way, help each other. If, if one guy puts down a cable, you put another cable on top of it, if he comes and tries to get his cable out from under yours, he creates a knot. We need, everything needs to go out in reverse order to keep it from tying knots, from getting on top of each other, from being in each other's way. So it's kind of an interesting like ballet that we do in a sense yeah. Everyone one knows their spot where they're supposed to be. We have our marks. And we're just, we're trying to make it easy to get out, to move on to the next place. Not that we're not enjoying what we're doing there and don't value the concert itself or whatever, but the general idea is like, let's do this smart so that it's easier at the end of the day to get out. Definitely. They're long days. I mean, I at mean, work from 7, 7.30, 8 in the morning till, till one at night, you know, like all the time. <laughs> That's wild. There's breaks in there for sure. So I'm not like, it's no slave driver stuff, but
0: is uh is what we hear then like because I know DMB has that serious radio mm-hmm. and they'll like do the live shows and stuff is are we hearing what you're mixing?
3: Nope, we bring in Rob Evans to do a broadcast mix. So I run an extra snake on broadcast days to a back dressing mm-hmm. room where there's another console set up and Rob Evans is mixing a stems mix so he's getting drums, voices uh guitars and so he's running a kind of easier mix a smaller mix of like so he can turn the drums up okay. he can turn the guitars up the you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and so he's mixing a mix in there and there's another guy josh who's from cirrus who's in there doing the actual transmission thereof, taking this mix and getting it out to the world okay so there's so every friday how it's been the last couple of years we do that that broadcast and i'm running a snake and setting up a um, a little console and some speakers in a dressing room where there is a guy um, mixing it live for that purpose cuz the mix is a little different for that purpose um hmm. got to use a lot of our audience mics to make it sound lively for mm-hmm. like this is a live show you want to hear <sighs> yeah you
1: know? yeah
3: So I have six audience mics out there, two on stage pointing out, two in front of house pointing in, and then one hung way up high in the lighting rig. And so that's a real simple way to fade in at the end of a song. Yeah, yeah. And then fade out during the song. So there's just, even that simple move makes a live recording sound more exciting.
0: Definitely. Interesting. Yeah, thank you for diving into that. Yeah,
3: no problem. Um, Rob also um, co-produced the, the record that they're working on finishing right now. So he's been okay. a longtime employee who used to run the band studio here in Virginia, which is just their studio a place they have. They can go record or send their friend if they want to do somebody a favor, they send their kids' band, whatever. It's a nice studio they have that's not commercial and it's hidden away in the woods.
1: Interesting. So so cool. can run that, run that <laughs> for
3: them. It is. It's so, very cool. Because, you know, most studios rely on clients and clients can be anything from the dave matthews band to like the worst jerks in the world who don't give a shit and wreck your place and or whatever or it's just terrible music that's hard to work on for two weeks you know yeah so having the place not be a commercial place it's just a private it's just a band place you know and it goes without being used quite a bit which is where i go up there and use it when no one's there um but (laughs) yeah right
0: that's awesome
3: yeah, I, I helped take the post hole for that 25 years ago, and it's a really beautiful place. But uh, so Rob was working there as the in house engineer for that place, and they, uh, the band and, and Dave really like his style. He's, his psychology is really good, he's, he's very mellow and doesn't tell you what you should do. You know, you should put a wah wah pedal on that, he's not like trying to get up in their shit and tell them what to do so yeah and he's just a really mild-mannered guy that so Dave gets along with him really well so anyway he he got a step up and, and I guess I we haven't seen the credits yet because the album's not out but he has a production a large production role in, in this newest record which should be coming out at some point I, I don't have any any information on that nor would I be able to you know, yeah. Yeah. We, not we disclosure like that. this thick so you know
0: we just know it's done I know I saw that interview with Dave yeah. a couple months ago and he's like everything's recorded it's all done
3: yeah yeah They're, uh, I mean I, I heard them going through some mastering trying different mastering engineers out for the final sound of the record and stuff that was going on a while ago I think they might have done a session and maybe added some songs Um I think they, they, so I think there might be even newer stuff um but i really don't know anything about the the release date or anything like that um
1: hell yeah
3: but i suspect it it would be you know in this coming year and i i therefore then deduce that uh that we might have a pretty big schedule in the next next that that has
2: been our theory because we like kind of look at the patterns of the past like Come tomorrow is 2018, 2023 be five years out. That's like yeah. about the how he spaces them nowadays. And yeah, that would mean likely. I just wonder what tour. it means
3: for me and work. Like, does that mean yeah? Does that yeah, mean, global tour, probably tour, right? you know, <laughs> Australia again. Yeah, which I love all those things, but also they're daunting in some ways. You know, it's like okay. Definitely so You're, yeah go
0: ahead oh yeah i mean i just so now you now you have me thinking about just planning for a new tour each year so yeah, yeah. you've done the same routine for 20 yeah. years at this point but i'm sure there are meetings that happen and so how much when they're like deciding on the different lighting structures different things yeah. uh yeah. like do you have like a lot of input in that how much does that change your job uh right. FF,
3: yeah so would, on the audio side we look at equipment we look at new equipment that supposedly does all these great things but we also stick with tried and true things you know so we look at different equipment but like you know i'm great friends with fenton for instance who designs the next year's stage show and light show and video screens and the whole look of the thing like at madison square garden he was having meetings about next year's look so he's that far ahead it has to be and has to outdo himself or something every year you know what i mean like it has to, has to do something interesting every year and after like designing 20 stages like what more did you do you like <laughs> put round lights or blackling and green lights i don't know you know or yeah do we have do we, do we fly dave above the audience like, <laughs> you know, like, Super or, or something you know
0: he did in <laughs> so that sesame street that. episode
3: <laughs> yeah so you know that yes they're before the previous tour is over, next year's tour is starting to get looked at. For, and a lot of those technicals and creative decisions are getting made right then, you know, I mean, I guess that's one good thing with having um, such long-term employees is that they trust Fenton to come up with something cool. He doesn't have to go through like, he has to go through red tape, but not a whole lot, you know, of like, you know, Dave's kind of hands off about it. Let's see let's see what you can come up with, you know. And I'm sure different years are different. Maybe Dave gets an idea one year. Hey, I wanna have, you know, whatever, I want to fly over the crowd, you know, this year. And so finn has got to figure out how to do that. You know, but <laughs> but to answer your question, there's a there's yes, a lot being thought of um before we're even done with last year's. Nice. Um I think COVID was easy. We got to like keep last or 2019 stage for 2020 i don't know there's was, there's was some like there wasn't it wasn't really worth doing new stuff then but then we're also in this situation with with um uh, trying to make up for for lost shows and things like that you know um but i don't do the business man i just i just knew <laughs> well, out, So
0: well it looked man. absolutely incredible this year i really really liked how the screens were set up this year
3: Yeah, I enjoyed that, too. And I'll tell Fenton you liked it. He's really got a hard job there, come up with something new every year, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and
3: of course, budgets go down, expenses go up, and you got to outdo yourself from last year. So that's a tough one, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. I do think it's kind of cool how, like, I've noticed this on a lot of the songs that are off of Big Whiskey and the Groogrex King, there will be, like, illustrations that like dave's made that like you might see somewhere on the album artwork that are just like kind of flowing across the screen i've always thought that's kind of
3: cool visual artist too man i mean yeah things when he's signing autographs he scratches like little portraits out for people and stuff they're amazing man like he's he's a really He's artistic all the way around. That's for sure. Yeah.
2: I think it's what big whiskey and away from the world. He did all the album artwork on both those two.
3: Yeah. And also what like a -a pig and like all the characters from the game and all that stuff came up with, you know, he drew all that stuff. I think they even have like a kid's book out now. That's all his drawings, you know, and he rips those off for fans and draws them on people's guitars and stuff. I think, you know, part, he, before he was a musician, he was going to be an actor and an artist, you know, either, one way or the other, so.
2: Well, he, he is an actor. He's in a few movies, isn't yeah. he?
3: Yeah. Yeah, he's t- like, there was a couple of movies. He took Just, us to go Just go with it. Just go with it. Yeah, like, That's he was it. in one of those movies, and he, like, rented out the theater and took the whole crew. We were on a summer tour, and it was coming out. And we all went. I actually was, like, sitting next to Dave Matthews when he appeared on the show. I was like, I never really sat next to someone who was in the movie, you know. <laughs> picking up a coconut with his butt yeah right (laughs) stupid
1: stuff man
3: he's real silly too man i mean you know poop jokes and funny humor and stuff like that there's some (laughs) adolescence too but it's like laid back and it's also harmless it's not like against a group of people or a, a sex or anything like that it's just like Funny, just you
0: know. Know. like so. So, I mean, obviously, uh, I, I call it like Dave Venise, the way yeah. he talks up on stage, yeah,
1: yeah.
3: Uh,
0: does he keep that going like afterwards? Like, will you just be in a conversation? And he'll just be like, Hold, her, hold her.
3: sometimes, but also you can be really articulate too. That's something that happens to him on stage. I mean, I think he's shy, dude, and I think, um, that's a lot of pressure standing yeah. there in the center being the focal point of that whole thing yeah. expected to say something. And then also can't quite speak his mind. Cause like he knows that half of his crowd has different politics than him. He knows that half of his crowd doesn't believe in some of the things. So, you know, I mean, he's outspoken, but he does it in really smart ways that are subtle that make you think then also don't tell you that you're wrong um, for your opinion, you know, it's all more about like hey let's we can get along and have different opinions but anyway i think i think maybe the dave speaks comes from from some anxiety too of, yeah. of being in that session what what the hell am i going to say and what should i say and
1: mm-hmm.
3: you know it, well you he can, owns it
0: and then that's yeah and it's, and it's half the entertainment because you're just yeah, saying i, like, I, I what love is it like say? that's part of
2: what draws me in it yeah makes him well like that's a cool. fascinating yeah.
3: performer yeah that's interesting He's he's in general very articulate outside of that particular situation. Um, yeah, but his humor doesn't involve, involve all those voices and different characters and and things like that. <laughs> and of course, them having been together thirty years, he and Carter have humor that's gone, you know, that's been built in for years. There's there's a lot of humor, man. Like. Everybody's on on we're all in, in ears during the show and Dave's on a lab mic. We can all hear them. And it's I consider it therapy sometimes because it's hilarious between songs. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not dirty and it's not like sexist or anything, but there's humor going on. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, um
2: that also touches on yeah. something really cool that I never realized as an audience member. So you're saying they're, I mean, they're obviously mic'd up being able to hear each other's instruments, but you're saying there's like a separate channel
3: where they Dave can just all a lab. talk. Dave's wearing a lab mic the whole time. The okay. other guys have push to talk stations. The other guys have little mics at the top of their amp that look like they're from a little radio station and they can push and talk. And only we all hear that us in the crew them in the band and if, that's how they communicate between songs or communicate issues to us um also like if someone's um having a brain part fart on a song we can play them in the intro just like sometimes all you got to do is play like do um," from the beginning yeah. of the song carter's like oh right do um," you know what i mean <laughs> that's come you know a lot of those things come later in your career the teleprompters Mm-hmm. The the help, you know what I mean? But on the same token, man, can you remember the lyrics to 140 songs? I can't, you know, like how oh, does it do it? You know, and I can't has, remember you ever looking to look at a teleprompter song. wire playing, I think even that's a skill. Like, if you can read and play and sing at the same time, it's a, it's yep. a skill. But so, yeah, we have an income system, and you know, it, it's generally um a, a fun place, it's generally. Blown off steam, congratulating each other, talking about the next song, some jokes and some humor. You know, sometimes there's a particular crowd member making a nuisance of themselves that'll get teased a little bit. But it's, um, <laughs> that's uh, awesome. That but is it's what all we personal. Hear. The world isn't
0: hearing it. You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh my God, that's that that makes me happy. <laughs> that, that well, you it. know,
3: there's those moments where Dave's like singing the most beautiful little ballad, quiet part, and there's some huge dude in the ground like, dude, I love you. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, come on, it's the ballad, it's
0: the little quiet part. Oh my God, that's. But funny. Then we all
3: appreciate fans too, or we wouldn't have jobs. So, like, you know, there's a there's, like, a, there's a relationship there. <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh man. Um, I, yeah, go ahead.
3: No, I don't really have anything
0: to say. I'm just rambling. No, I'm rambling too. And I, like, we've been, we've been at it for a minute. I appreciate it, Joe. Like you have honestly just yeah. op- opened our world to yourself and uh, what it is like to be a recording tech and yeah. uh, music musician producer. Um, I guess my final question that I have before yeah. we get to the encore is okay. what is your go-to guitar and amp that you like to use like what is your Um, rig that you go to
3: yeah well you know i've gone through a lot in my life and i have come full circle back to like a fender stratocaster type of guitar i mean this one happens to be a sir guitar from california which is expensive and handmade by a, a singular dude but honestly uh for me a fender stratocaster is fine i I like to put a humbucker in mine for the okay. lead channel. So, you know, strats usually have single coil pickups a little high endy or a little thinner, but really get that strat tone. I put a humbucker, which is more of a Les Paul thing here for like my lead tone. I, you know, I also play some rock and some actual like heavy music. So it facilitates that. But I've come full full circle. I think um, you know, Leo Fender, Fender and the guys from Gibson had it right in the fifties, man. And, like, all guitar mods since then have been attempts to, like, improve upon something that pretty much had it right. So I think, you know, a Fender Strat or a Gibson Les Paul, like, you have about the best thing going right there.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm
3: trying different boutique companies and stuff because I'm middle-aged and, you know, having a midlife crisis. So I buy expensive guitars now, you know. <laughs> but but honestly, I I um, got a Fender Strat sitting on the wall right there. <laughs> I also have always been a fan of Mesa Boogie amplifiers, so I use Mesa Boogie, And um, but even there, like they're known for their dual rectifier, like all the metal bands, Metallica and shit, like Mesa Boogie had these big <laughs> type of amps, but they also make other kinds of amps, and right now I'm using a really small one called a Fillmore 50, it's just a 50 watt 112, it looks like a Fender Deluxe Reverb, but it's a little bit hopped up. It's an amp anyone can buy right off the line for about 15 sixteen hundred bucks I have a half price deal with boogie so I buy a, a boogie amp every year and try it out and some I keep and some I, and and some I sell cheaply to friends I don't profit off of it but after 30 years in the business I do get half price off my favorite amp company and we all buy stuff, too, though. I mean, Dave buys stuff, you know. I mean, he switched away from, from Taylor. I mean, I can't talk about the real business, but he switched away from Taylor and Martin and those big companies that were trying to, be, you know, and he went with a, a local Charlottesville builder, Rockbridge and, and Brian. So Dave's guitars are all built and paid for just like anybody else from his friend's company that that built that's so
1: cool yeah and
3: we don't take a lot of free stuff and we don't do a whole lot of endorsements i mean even you know people come to me like will you endorse this microphone and they want to be able to say like dave Matthews, sound engineer uses this mic yeah i don't do a lot of that stuff either i mean you know some of that stuff you know we're asked not to do but also just i don't really want to get in that situation where i'm just telling people what gear to use because you most of the time it's bs you're just saying it so you get a free mic you know what yeah. i mean <laughs> you're not really liking that microphone you know so i don't want to be in that situation i don't think any of us really do and also the band is Fortunate to have made a good amount of money and to be completely happy to pay for their instruments. You know what I mean? I mean, it's all backwards as far as that goes. Like, starting musicians should be given instruments for free, and rich ass rock stars should pay for it all but instead yeah. <laughs> you're starting and you're starving. You're like scraping together a money to get a broken Stratocaster. And then when you're a rock star, <laughs> they just hand them to you when you can't afford them. It seems backwards to me. And I think to Dave Matthews band too, like we, when we go to Europe, we like give away the rehearsal room stuff to like the boys club of Brazil or something, you know, like, yeah. we're yeah. like like get instruments and gear into the hands of people as a sound guy. Like, you know, my recording rig, you know how computers go. You have to upgrade them every couple of years or they become useless and yep. new gear all the time. So I don't, we have a music resource center here in Charlottesville, which is like a girls and boys club after school. They get bussed over there and there's a recording studio and a dance studio and there's guitars on the wall and there's instructors. And so I donate their the recording gear, you know, for a little tax write-off for the company. But, you know, mostly it's like just to give, working gear to to the kids you know
2: very cool
3: yeah i mean I th- you know dave matthews is embarrassed about the amount of money he makes i think this is just my opinion you know what i mean like not embarrassed but you know what i mean like that's not what he's into this for He he's kind of a hippie like he and he, he and his wife and family and kids they don't show a bunch of wealth or anything they And if it comes down to it, they'll buy like an organic farm and protect that land to never be developed on. Like that's where he's coming from, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, the dude was still driving a, you know, Subaru until like two years ago when he bought the cheapest, littlest Tesla and is embarrassed like, oh, I know I did it. I got a Tesla. I'm embarrassed. I'm saying, dude, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Whatever, man. So I mean, money money's not the first order of business here. Although you know they c- certainly have have been lucky enough to, to to make plenty of it. You know,
2: and that's so what happens that, when your music's that yeah. awesome.
3: <laughs> yeah, people really enjoy it, I and mean, we've got. I mean, even on this Tim Reynolds tour, like you know, I'm only getting 200 people a night, but you know, there's a, a big faction of of DMB fans. They come to those shoot shows too, and oh, uh, yeah. you know, really show their love to me, and like really show their love to Kristen, who's you know just coming into this world just vicariously because she and I are playing together. She's got Dave Matthews fans coming up and 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 uh, complimenting her and stuff like that. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, it's a cool world in the sense that, that most of the Dave Matthews fans are interested in in music. It's not just a social scene or a place to party, you know. So absolutely, So it's kind of nice to be involved with.
2: Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah.
3: Stratocaster, little amp, couple, uh, couple pedals. That's me, you know. That's
2: (laughs) right on. Um, I guess I, I had a sort of random question. So you like. You, you know, kind of grew up in that Northern Virginia music scene. Do you ever run into a band called Pat McAfee band?
3: I have heard of Pat McAfee band, but I don't know anything about them.
2: Okay. They're, they're from Richmond. They would have been more like late nineties, but I just, yeah. Curious if you ever ran into those cats.
3: Yeah. My crew was like everything, give droll. Um, what other bands were around then? I can't even remember. I'm too old. But, uh, and now I'm, like, pretty much stuck in my own head. I mean, I really like, like, Tode- uh, Tedeschi Trucks Band is, like, one of my favorite, obviously. Yeah, they're obviously, really Derek good. Derek Trucks is, like, sick. But also, yeah. a big band that play cool music. I love Susan's Voice, so I really dig that as, like, a live I mean, but I also, like, came from the 80s, dude. Like, I'm, like, Van Halen, like, all the way. Like, Van Halen 1 and 2. Oh, like, I, I, I love I, Van I play Halen guitar, You know what I mean? Like, that's that's it for me. Um, you know, my Jimi Hendrix poster when I was a kid. I I therefore found Jeff Beck, which is actually one of my favorite guitar players. He's, he's still kicking it, you know. But then through that also came into Steve Ray Vaughn stevie yeah, johnson you know guitar players i like them you know and i like um a lot of types of music i mean i'm, I'm kind of like a classic rock dude but i like funk and r&b you know james brown is my morning music um all the way to earth wind and fire you know and But I also can listen to uh, Tool, you know. I love
2: love Tool, Tool, yeah. (laughs)
3: I also like Radiohead. I go out there, even their their craziest, weirdest shit. You know, I like. But, Kristen really me on to radiohead you know getting past creep you know what i mean like, like okay yeah, the creep. yeah they a cool have a problem. couple
2: albums that really like resonate with me
3: yeah me too and and i was lucky enough like she had never seen it, it was her favorite band and so like i don't know five six years ago they were playing at outside lands and Gate park and uh you know I, I got tickets through whatever industry and made some calls and whatever and flew us yeah. out there. and we <laughs> saw radiohead and i was like whoa this this is pretty wicked <laughs> so i really like that stuff too um musically um there's some guitar players up and coming right now i mean this kid eric gales man that's pretty bad blues guitar mm-hmm. player check out eric gales and
1: eric gales
3: i i was also lucky enough like we toured Australia like six or seven years ago and uh Gary Clark Jr. was our opening Ooh, act so I made yeah. friends with him and like he's just like the most mild-mannered dude and for me he's like a a new Jimi Hendrickson way because he has that spirit like his eyes roll up in his head and he's just like playing something you know what I mean and I, I just mm-hmm. I really love that I love improvisation music I love like I don't um write my solos I don't you know what I mean like it's improvisational, yeah. like, whatever comes. And that can lead you to some train wrecks, but also when you hit it on, it's, like, the most beautiful moment ever that'll carry me through the whole next year, you know? And sometimes I get those, like, with on those Dave sit-ins, like, actually have a fucking moment, and, like, those are few and far between as a musician, you know, where you actually feel like you're connecting, and, like, um, there's these moments, like, I've had two or three gigs in my life, and I've played thousands of gigs, where I really felt like I was on. You know, most of the time people are like, dude, you were rocking tonight. And I'm like, ah <laughs> And then once in a while I feel like I was on like you can't play a wrong note. Like you look the other way and you try to play something wrong and it just fits perfect. And those nights people come up to the end of the show and like, Man, are you not feeling well today? or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how any of it works. So I just try to take it personally and like just go up there, be open minded. You you know, look I and yeah and open ear, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know music. Um, I mean, I went to Berkeley for a semester, so I have that much theory, you know, <laughs> one semester, you know, so I don't really know what I'm doing, but I do use my ear. I do listen, and I also learned, like, a big trick. You can always turn down your volume control and stand up there for a while and Looks like you're playing, and then you figure out what's really going on, and then
0: turn it up. <laughs> right? That's awesome. I mean, Joe, you have it. It so from just again being able to witness you in person uh, at that Deer Creek show this last year, and then going to watch more videos. Like, and I've said this in so many of our past episodes as well. You can play guitar, but you have like but you have to be able to perform and yeah. be able to engage to take it to that next level. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's guitarists I that can just stand up there, but you do it to such yeah. a master class where you're again, you come out there within the first 10, 15 seconds and you're just before yeah. anyone even is doing it, you're giving us a little taste. Oh. You're giving us the face. You're moving around stage. Like, it yeah. is uh contagious honestly as a fan
3: That's cool I mean I, the the faces um I didn't I don't even know I make them until I look back and then so that's not predetermined to they come they're, out they're and awesome, give them something. Man. don't
2: stop that I ever. told you though
3: like like I realized early on sitting in with Dave that he wants you to go out there and do your thing because I've I've watched okay even Gary Clark Jr. first time Dave asked him to sit in. Gary Clark Jr. was like, "I'm not going to use my pedal board," and I was like, "Wait, you really should. We'll help you move it out." He's like, "No, it's too complicated to set out there for a sit-in." And I'm like, "But Dave wants you to do your th- like, do your thing. Like, hit your overdrive pedal and your big muff and your wah wah pedal and let it free. Like, whatever your thing is, he wants you to do it. Those guys want you to do your thing. They don't want you to come out and be subdued and subservient to them and like do the. Yeah. They want you to do your thing." And so like, I watched Gary Clark that first time and he went out there with like a plinky clean sound, you know, and he did fine and great, but it wasn't, you know, like, dude, hit the the button, like hit the, give it the gas, give it the juice, you know, know? (laughs) (laughs) know? (laughs) so I was lucky enough to figure that out and have the experience enough to know that, that I didn't need to like. Take a back seat or subdue, and so then I started noticing. Yeah, you're supposed to go out there and go wah, wah, wah. I'm like. Here I am. Here's the guest. Here's you're playing. Yeah. You're playing up yeah. here as well. You're yeah, yeah. Little... I mean, most of this stuff mm-hmm. comes natural because that's what we do when. When, I mean, I have, I have, uh, over a decade of gigs where I was in an a and trailer and we played every night for our living, and we wanted to be more energetic, more have more show and better chops and better songs than everybody so it took a lot i learned to be energetic and put on somewhat of a show but it's also really natural it's not really pre predetermined or, or premeditated to be honest and i do that in rehearsal in my house to make the same faces you know what i mean it's like yeah. when i bend a note yeah. it hurts you know it's supposed to
0: yeah that's awesome man well <laughs> yeah. Uh, seriously as a fan we very much appreciate it and again we've I, these past two hours have absolutely flown by and yeah you've given us so much information to just Good, sit in so i appreciate it and i know yeah. club does too um, yeah, yeah. but as always there's always an encore with vinyl stallions and any All show right. there is and we ask the same question to every single one of our guests and you okay. can take it any which way but so the All simplest right. way is what is your most memorable concert experience and Mm -hmm. you can give multiple ones as well and it could be one you played at one you've seen one you've worked at and it could be a very good memory or a very bizarre strange thing that you have stuck in your head but yeah if you have multiple of them feel free to share them with us
3: i mean i have multiple i mean one i've got to go with is like whatever 1978 my mom bought us rolling stones tickets it was like my my first you know i wasn't too old you know 70 uh i was 11. so my mom took me to a rolling stones concert at the cap center outside of dc largo maryland when i was, was like. and that was a big tour one. yeah i uh, think so bobby womack was opening so i got a little rb so that was one just like in a as a first concert experience thing the other thing my mom did to me, which is not exactly a concert experience, but I don't know if you guys have heard of um, uh, the bass player, uh, Michael Mannering. He, he put out a bunch of like Windham Hill um, solo bass records, but my mom taught at the same school as his mom. And for an early birthday, fourth, fifth grade, she paid michael mannering and his brother doug mannering who was a van halen clone at the time guitar player she let me and my best friend andy go to their house and they just jammed for us for like an hour i think my mom must have paid him 50 bucks each and bringing my little pipsqueak boy over to watch you guys jam but honestly bass drums and guitar in front of our faces, like this is how you do it, experience really changed the trajectory of my music class. Um, you know, really? what happened to me music. So that that was another interesting musical experience. And then man, it's there's so many of them that it's hard for me to pick just one, you know. I mean, Dave shows, were my favorite? I think that Lisbon show I brought up to you earlier where there was where there was 2,000 sold, and then all of a sudden there was 18,000 people in unison singing soccer chants that were in the right key for the band. As far as the Dave show, that was was pretty cool. So the Lisbon there.
0: That's awesome. And then,
3: you know, some of my sit-ins, I thought I had some really good sit-ins this year. I don't always think that, and I don't always play great. Like, sometimes it's really hard to switch gears, like, and go up cold. The band's all warm, and you're going up cold. Plus, I had to work all day, so it wasn't like sitting in my bus, like, warming up all day and, like, having celery juice and, like, a massage. Like, I was working. But <laughs> so it go up cold sometimes, I get up there and, like, my hand kind of locks, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, God, come on, come on. So it's not always the easiest thing. And, um, but some of them, I thought this year's were kind of good, you know? Like, I was proud of the, um... The lie in Our Graves I got to play because I'd never played it. And so it was just like 10 minutes in the bus to like, okay, I got it. And like go out there and go for it. And so that was memorable for me. And that was just this year. But I also just had amazing times opening for Tim Reynolds um, playing with Kristen in in a duo. It's like this naked ass thing. I'm used to playing with drums and bass and keyboards and all this stuff. And when you play with just, your partner who sings beautifully writes beautiful songs and plays piano beautifully and you're playing electric guitar it's like a weird thing get your volumes right you can't rely on volume also all those things that get covered up on electric guitar by drums and bass in a live setting you know what i mean if i make a little groinker at the end of a chord you never hear it but man yeah. when there's just two of us so honestly Any one of those shows that we got through as a duo and felt pretty good about are some of my favorite shows, too, because I really (laughs) like I was trying something new. I was um, on the edge of my comfort zone, pushing the envelope a little bit like and that was cool. And then one last one was in Winchester, Virginia. Um, I sat in with Tim Reynolds on one of these smaller concerts here where Mm -hmm. um, just this week. And the other times I'd sat in, we'd been playing a Tom Waits song called Chicago. And so that had a structure and a key. But this third time, this third night, Tim was like, he just wrote on a set list, nasty funk jam. No key, no direction, no (laughs) nothing. So this was pure 100% improv, which I love too. Like I had a band that was no set list, no songs, all improv. And sometimes it goes amazingly well and sometimes it goes horrible but mm-hmm. so this was just a pure improv with Tim and we really went somewhere it was uh like i got tran- transcended um like that's what happens like when music goes really well i hope you guys have had a chance to experience it or will in your lives because
1: yeah. there's a moment
3: where you're not paying attention to what you're doing anymore um you're you're lifted by the whole thing no, if don't I don't look at the guitar. I don't like equipment. Doesn't matter anymore. It's like you're 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 there. You've reached some spot, and you close your eyes and you play, and the things that come out are the things that are in your head, and they're coming out right. I mean, ninety nine percent of the time you don't get this. You're you're working at it. You're struggling. Things don't sound right. That's most of how I feel. But once in a while, there's that that moment where everything's just disappears and you're just walking on a cloud just just letting it rip and um so those are my favorite you know and you can't and you can't make that happen there's no amount of practicing worrying uh talking that can make that happen just sometimes it does i mean there are factors like if you get enough sleep you feel okay but but i've but also you just can't tell when those are going to come you can't force them to come so i'm just trying to be open to those coming as as often or not as possible you know but those are the best shows ever (laughs) you know you know and and i suppose even work is like that sometimes you know when you have a good work day when it doesn't seem hard and the time goes by fast and Mm -hmm. everything you did was correct and and the equipment's working functioning and you know those are good days those are the good ones
0: absolutely
3: yeah so I don't know if I really answered your question, but that's my attempt.
0: <laughs> oh, you gave us all the answers. All right. You gave us everything we needed. All right, uh, cool, man. And and more, honestly. like th- This is yeah. such an interesting side of music on the recording tech side, but then to yeah. be able to dive into all this as well has been just an absolute pleasure for us. So we've gotten very, very uh, much from the bottom of our stallion hearts. Thank you, Joe, cool. for coming uh, man. on. Thank
3: you, guys. I'm, I'm happy to meet you guys and happy to talk with you. Um, it's crazy, but I got a long career at this. Day. I got a million stories and sometimes I forget. And, but then he started talking and I'm like, blah, 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 blah. I gotta <laughs> to tell you stuff for days. So That's uh, day. thanks for the opportunity to air out my, uh, <laughs> to air myself out. <laughs> Anytime. You're I appreciate. always it. welcome. I hope your music goes well. Yeah. You know, ask me back in a couple of months. I'd be happy to talk more if you want to get specific about something. More specific than we got
0: that we touched on. Maybe a certain EP that is going to come out soon. Yeah, (laughs) I also will
3: ask you for your help. Yeah, when that happens, um, or Kristen and I put out music, or when I put out this EP, man, maybe you guys will give me a word or let's let us talk. No, we we totally will. Yeah.
0: we absolutely will and yeah uh, maybe we can even catch you in person on the road next year
3: yes if you're coming to a show you guys have my email and stuff now let me know and we'll say hi i'm always on stage left working so you'll you'll find me
0: beautiful right excellent
3: It's a power fist at you guys boom, boom. right
0: at you joe uh, thank you thank very you much guys. again again joe lawler everybody uh, go check him out night. have a great night thank you uh besides check. that my name is spruce yep. i'm club And this has been another episode of Vinyl Stallion.
1: (laughs) Later,
0: guys. Thanks. Yeah, Joe, thank you very much.